Hello, Alan here, and welcome to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, this is going to be our review show. Uh, similar to the last one, we're going to look back at the previous month's releases. So these are our picks for what was the best of uh, comics in January 2019. Delighted to say, as always, I am joined by Keith here. And also... And Roddy as well. Uh, Kieran unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight. He will be missed. We will mention Justice League Dark Number 7. Well, we just have. Um, <laughs> Job done. <laughs> uh, before we kick this one off, we just wanted to um, throw a quick shout out to everybody who popped down to the store for our event on Saturday, February the 9th. Uh, we had the pleasure of welcoming Roddy to the store, along with uh, artist Donna A. Black, uh, also along with Aaron and uh, Leslie from WAA Custom Art. Uh, we had a really busy day in store. There seemed to be a great vibe all day. Um, people seem to really enjoy it. Um, delighted to say, Roddy never stopped talking. I know. Yeah, uh, I think it lost your I voice. I think my voice is back to normal. <laughs> I believe. But um, thanks to everyone for persevering with me on Saturday because I was pretty hoarse. Um, we had done another launch on the Thursday up in Coleraine. Um, so for whatever reason, I must have just talked to the entire the entire town. Or it's not a city, is it? Oh, it's definitely no, not the entire city, town of Coleraine. Um, but yeah, including Keith's brother. Yeah, shout out to lovely, Chris. Lovely, lovely man, <laughs> yeah. lovely family. Um, but yeah, it's um, Saturday was uh, like I'm still still on a really big high from it. Um, can't say thank you enough to everyone. So we launched launched two books as well. That's a pretty damn good thing. Um, I was just really blown away. It was great to chat to um, Donna, get to know Donna a bit better, and um, great to know. Great to chat to Aaron as well, who I've I've met a few times, but I haven't really had a proper chat with him. It was great seeing his art as well as Leslie's art, and mm-hmm. they're both fantastic guys. Uh, it was really really good to share share like a wee booth with them, you know. And um, I noticed it too. The vibe the vibe in the store was pretty great. All yeah, yeah it seemed to be. It seemed to be. It was jammers whenever I went there. Yeah, yeah. We I think we were we were busy from. That we had a lull around lunchtime, but um, from about ten o'clock, it was there was people. They were chatting, not just chatting to us, but chatting, getting coffee, and just it seemed like a really nice, nice place to be on a Saturday. Like yeah. reading comics and everywhere you looked, you know, the sofas were all filled. Everyone was sitting chilled out. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I mean, it was obviously a, a learning curve for us as well. The first time we've held an event in store. Yeah. Um, and you know delighted with how it went so yeah me too hopefully um, this will lead to a few uh, to ones more and more leading up in the future you know we'll see but um, yeah thank we'll, we'll maybe try and advertise it a bit earlier next time yeah well, we may have left it a little late well like even um, still all the people that came it just shows um, there's a really great community in that store that's yeah. what I really like and um, I think you should be really proud of that you know what um, what you've cultivated and um this like community of like sort of like-minded individuals really nice people that i got to meet and talk to and um, yeah everyone that supported inspire as well because the burning memory was for charity and we raised about 150 pounds for it um so that just keeps on going to inspire and keeps ticking over so yeah yeah um really chuffed um yeah I hope I don't lose my voice again <laughs> but um yeah I can't, I can't say thank you enough to everyone who bought it and it was great just great chatting to people about comics and art and 
yeah. writing and everything in between. And I was glad to pick up my copies of. You got a bit of everything. Fractured didn't you? world, yeah, fractured yeah. mind, and the burning mind. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're on my uh, on my pile beside my bed and ready to be ready to be read consumed excellent yeah. excellent and don't worry about you losing your voice here this is probably a marble heavy podcast so Keith will do plenty of the talking <laughs> <laughs> he might do plenty of the heavy lifting but um, yeah we just wanted to mention Saturday so uh, yeah I mean before we dig into the you know our best of January anyway you know some sad news first of all you know I'm really mm. sorry to break this about three weeks later than it actually happened but <laughs> Ben Affleck has left Batman I, I, I know just, you're heartbroken. Batfleck is dead. I saw. Batfleck. Batfleck yeah. is dead. Long live Batfleck. Um, I mean, anyone who's been in the store, anyone who's chatted to me, they know I was a fan. Um, I would have loved to have seen him given his own solo Batman movie. I remember at the time. I mean, he's an exceptionally talented director. You know, Argo got, is fantastic. Argo, brilliant yeah. movie. The Town was a really yeah. fun genre heist movie. Uh, Gone Girl, Gone. I mean, he's a very talented guy, and he has a clear love for the character. And when the Batman was first announced, he was going to write it, direct it, and star in it. And then suddenly, he started getting the first murmurings that there was trouble in paradise. Suddenly, he wasn't directing it anymore. Then they weren't going to use his script. And then there's been constant rumors for a long time. But yeah. I, I am genuinely sad to see him go. Not everything that he was in worked, uh, but I thought he was very good in the role. Uh, I think it's just disappointing not to see him get the opportunity to do what he wanted to do with it yeah that's probably it but um i guess was the the batman or whatever his version of the batman was was that going to tie into the dcu apparently to a degree i mean like a wonder woman well they introduced deathstroke at the end of the vastly uneven movie and that's me being generous that was justice league uh they introduced deathstroke at the end he was going to be the main villain in uh, Affleck's Batman movie but I think he wanted to do something quite self-contained which is where I think DC movies should go uh, but moving forward um, Matt Reeves in the director's chair he said he wants a younger Batman so this is obviously why Ben Affleck's out I just wanted to throw it out to you guys anyone you think could you know take over their cape and cowl hmm tough one I'll let Mr. Marvel himself have a go first <laughs> I don't know if I care anymore <laughs> yeah. I think I do I think I'd like to see another Batman film but um, I, a detective based movie I, I think that's, that's, what, what, that's what everyone wants really I watched A Quiet Place last night uh, John John Krasinski yeah. yeah wasn't it I don't know if he I know they're talking about a younger a younger Batman but uh, but I think he might he, he was very good in the better. recent Jack Ryan series. Um, he plays a younger Jack Ryan. It was an Amazon Prime series, eight yep. episodes. Great mo- uh, great TV show. But of course, we were talking about him as. Oh, give him Mr. Fantastic. As much as I would yeah, like to see him as I, Batman. I think that's a good shot. If Marvel now get the rights back to Fantastic Four movies, he would be, a he fantastic would be perfect Richard, for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see that all day long. There's been fan art circulating and everything. He just has the right look. And he's even married to Emily Blunt. She'd be perfect for Sea Storm. Sea Storm. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I mean, my choice. I've chatted to a few guys in the store about it, and I can't believe again I'm poaching from Marvel. But for me, Ben Barnes, who was well, I mean, DC poached Affleck from Marvel. He was well. This is also true. It's about time for changeover, you know. Um, I would love to see Ben Barnes. Roll. I have to say, I think he in Punisher season one fitted the business executive perfectly. He's a good-looking guy. He's smooth. So he could effortlessly do the Bruce Wayne, but he was also great in the fighting scenes and all the army scenes. Though I did have one of uh, our regulars, Philip, tell me that he can't play Batman because he has girly hands. Now, 
I've heard of some right. strange reasons for some people not to be, you know, put into the role. And I should also point out that Philip's choice was Jamie Dornan. Oh, silence. It'd be interesting. Yeah. But well, you see, do you not think he looks about twelve when he shaves? See, he's got the beard. Well, I I understand you know, that you, problem. You know where that's coming from. <laughs> but I I don't think he would suit it. Plus you have to you have to have a strong chin. Yeah. Yeah, I just I don't think that he would be like. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's a bad actor, but I don't think he's. Not that Batman requires a lot of acting. It's a guy. In, it's a guy in a stunt suit most of the time. But um, I would also just give it back to Christian Bale. I think that would confuse people. Just like you said, <laughs> any more than the Bale, <laughs> any more than the DC yeah. movies already do. Possibly. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'd take yeah. Christian Bale back all day long. And interestingly, he's actually two years younger than Ben Affleck now. Right. So he is still yeah. younger than Affleck. Um, I think I'd like to go, like, for the role to go for a, like a. They're not gonna have. They're not gonna be a movie star. I think you've got to go, not a relative unknown, but maybe yeah. TV actor or like supporting roles. Someone that's just gonna be given a chance, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, Bale was that guy for Batman Begins. He wasn't a household name, but he was well known for American Psycho and maybe for. Yeah, maybe you need a, like an actor. You don't need. Maybe where everyone's thinking like they need a movie star to fill the role. You know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter so much. What you're looking for is an actor to play Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. An actor to play a man, play Batman, acting Bruce Wayne. Uh, <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and all of that, you just need someone that that looks good from the from the the nose down. Yeah, mm. you know. Uh, Unlike Val Kilmer and his bright, you know, shiny lips. Yeah. Batman Forever. If you ever go back, it's impossible not to stare at. To be honest. It was something that you know I I've been critical of right. like Batman and Batman Returns, but you know Keaton looked good this, in that. This sounds a bit like yeah. small hands. We <laughs> <laughs> don't see his hands under gloves. Uh, I mean, uh, I think we've talked about it. My choice would be just skip Batman, take Kevin Smith's idea, straight on to Batman Beyond, Michael Keaton as older Bruce Wayne. I love it. Go yeah. for it. Then then you have a really young actor to play Terry McGinnis. Mm. Uh, give it to Ben Barnes and uh, adapt Court of Isles. That's what I say. Good shout. And Good who shout. are we? It was Robert Pattinson that was. Uh, yeah, Robert, that's the end of Charlie, this. Com- Charlie Hunnam as that's well. That's the end of that conversation. Uh, once Charlie, Robert Pattinson. Charlie Hunnam's a. Well, he's another fellow I don't know would be good without his beard. Good point. Yeah. Can you have a bearded Batman? We live in too much of a bearded world these yeah. days, don't we? <laughs> um, speaking of beards uh, there was the Avengers Super Bowl spot which featured Captain America without his um, 30 second Super Bowl spot um, Keith just watched it for the first time there just before we started recording he's in the very sensible mindset of we need to see as little of this movie as possible it didn't give too much away too um, much more away that's what I love about those trailers just it's in it's yeah. out you, you see little teases that gets everyone excited like the YouTube app, the YouTube app we watched it on kept playing, and there was a very excited American guy um, that came on after to discuss the trailer, um, and it's like that's all you need. You've got like your thirty second trailer has it's yeah. already you know what it's going to do. It's going to create like this mega storm. You don't need to give away too well, much. Well, I mean, to me, I don't think they needed a trailer for. I don't need to think they needed a trailer for Endgame at all. I think. Well, I think all they needed to do was show that scene from Infinity War where Doctor Strange says and now we enter the end game and just reveal the name of this movie and that would have been it <laughs> that would have been it do you know what's interesting <laughs> about that is I actually watched Age of Ultron the other night 
and there's a part in it where Tony's trying to say why he was creating Ultron and create this blanket around the world to protect it and he actually says um, to the rest of the Avengers you know we can take down all the gun runners we want down here but up there and points at the sky goes that's Endgame <laughs> oh interesting I, I didn't realise that that had ever been said before mm-hmm. and so I just am, I am curious if there was any sort of breadcrumb trail being left because if anyone was going to do it it would be Kevin Feige yeah, would have been. Yeah. He's, he's great at his long term planning um, but it was interesting to watch that and then just get this little moment of oh well I think I think uh, the the crux of that 30 second trailer was you know uh, seemed to be post-traumatic stress disorder in the mm. world you know everything's quiet 50% of the population's gone there's posters up how do we go on without them it's be, also a beardless uh, world <laughs> There was an empty baseball stadium. Yeah, but but what Cap the what Cap's saying is everybody else moves forward, not us. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that implies is that is that an implication on time travel mm-hmm. that everybody else is moving forward, but they're moving back. I wonder if it comes back to my religious iconography. Yes, if everyone else has accepted this great God who has spared them, but they're like we know the truth, and he's a mad titan essentially. Um, but again what I like about it is you say it's 30 seconds but it gives you plenty to chew over without you know looking at it going well that's obviously from the third act that's obviously from you know towards yeah, the end yeah no I'm uh, just yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, looking forward to seeing how guy is running that'll be nice <laughs> <laughs> well yeah uh, Captain Marvel first yes Captain so Marvel first to Captain that. Marvel in the next few weeks I believe so uh, something to look forward to absolutely and then you have Shazam coming soon just yeah. obviously not yeah. Marvel based but it looks fun um, and then and probably known as Captain Marvel <laughs> indeed yeah it's an interesting story that um, but yeah you know at this point I'd be perfectly happy no more trailers just yep. done I don't think I'm going to be watching any more trailers I think you will be watching one more because I think they'll put it before Captain Marvel God yeah, damn it. there'll definitely be a trailer. But what I would them. love if they did, they'll never do this, but I think it'd be really smart, is make it the end credit scene of Captain Marvel. So yeah. if you want to see it, it's there. If you As don't, they did with uh, was, was when they Captain did America, Avengers. the first Avenger, the, 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 the stinger was the trailer for Avengers. Yeah, I'd love them to do that, and then at least that gives uh, people yeah. the choice <laughs> do you want to watch it or not? I fondly remember that squee <laughs> moment. <laughs> <laughs> and he's never looked back since. Um, but yeah, well. Just so we throw a couple of wee bits and bobs in there, but we will move on now to what we thought were the best of uh, the January releases. This was actually pretty tough. Um, you know, Keith's got quite a few notes there and stuff he really enjoyed. Add a, a good list. There will be some honourable mentions at the end. My list is all in here. Uh, Roddy pointing at his head there. You know, he's got plenty of stuff. So this was actually quite hard to um, hard to trim down. I think there was a lot of quality. Out. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I recall, if I recall, or September or October podcast that seemed to be quite a Marvel heavy previews catalogue mm-hmm. so hence that's why mine's gone this way yeah uh, which is not to say there wasn't some fantastic stuff out from DC and some fantastic stuff out from yeah. Image and I, the Indies was, yeah. I don't think I was on the, the previous podcast for that was I well then it never I, happened I <laughs> well all I, I think can I say is after for the February one possibly yeah. possibly um, what I will say is that going back to the previous podcast for what came out in January, one of the titles I really tried to push. It just looked so intriguing to me. And when we did the review show last month, we banded around ideas for what our cutoff points should be for reviewing <laughs> stuff, not to give things away. And this just missed the cut, and I desperately, <laughs> desperately want to talk about it. So I guess what we what we should say is that they 
the reviews are for everything that lies inside January, which you've already mentioned. Yeah, yeah. But this will be a spoiler-filled. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I will put up a list of the main ones we chat about on the in the description for the podcast. Um, but again, the first one we're going to chat about is a title called Gunning for Hits. Uh, this was out on the 2nd of January, so it really has been out a while. So The music um, thriller. Um, I think that's good, though, because you... It's almost like it forces us, and maybe... Because, well, Keith said um, he's a bit behind in his reading, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it sort of forces you to go back and, like, anyway, to reevaluate it. Yeah. Read it again, which is something I don't necessarily do all that much yeah so it's very it's very good unless uh, you're reading doomsday clock because you're waiting three months between <laughs> issues i need to remember what happens um but yeah i mean going for hits it just hit me as something i really wanted to read simply because the um the writer who was involved with it um the writer is a guy called uh jeff rugby um who i'm delighted to say prior to this podcast started following coughing heroes on twitter uh just completely out of the blue but he used to be a, uh, a music producer, and what what he did was he helped re-release a lot of... The, the main thing that put his company on the map that he worked for was he helped re-release a lot of David Bowie's old material. He um, set up these special editions. Um, I think he was a trailblazer, essentially, he, for um, those. In 1988, he joined uh, a company called Rikodisc, uh, and you're, you're right, one of the first things that he did was... Uh, was involved in getting a hold of the rights to Bowie's music in order to reissue yeah, Bo- it. Bowie was yeah. having like a yeah. dispute. I think it was EMI with at the time. Um, he did some stuff for Big Star as well for one of my yeah. favorite bands, band from the seventies. And uh, I think he put them on Ryko Disc too. Yeah, and you know, famously they released the Sound Vision box set, which was one of the most successful Bowie releases ever. It was a yeah, um, a very uh, high class. Uh, release you know all the bits and pieces and so forth and so on so uh, he's a, he's an A&R executive mm-hmm. um, which is I guess where the experience for this book comes from and he now uh, since I think 2012 has owned his own uh, his own I guess it's a label of a full service label uh, called Super Megabot um, music services or uh, something along those lines uh, which does the same again. It's it's sort of high class re-releases. Along the way, he uh, he got the uh, the rights to um, comedian Bill Hicks's. Mm-hmm. Uh, picked up his rights and did some re-releases uh, for him. Um, worked with, you know, he wrote a detailed history of Ziggy Stardust, published as a as a book. Uh, included a deluxe version of the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars. Um, worked with with a whole list of folk, Elvis Costello um, being one of those. Um, so yeah, um, a real sort of a mover and shaker in the in the music industry. But as, as I say, an A and R executive artist and repertoire. So effectively, found what was good and and uh, and then sort of worked to make sure it was it was in order and worked to be brought onto the label. So yeah. I guess that's exactly where the where the book comes that from. Is screenshot of the um the story in this yeah this uh comic it's like one of his experience well m- maybe draws from his experience shall we <laughs> he, say he may have heightened it a little yeah. bit by the end <laughs> but yeah the crux of this issue is based around the idea of one of these nr executives trying to sign a new band and they just played a show and you know this sort of dive of a bar but he 
he prides himself on seeing potential and getting to these acts before they become big um, so the whole issue is essentially around the idea of it's like 3am in the morning and he's trying to get them to sign a record contract it looks an awful lot at the start like he's tied to a chair yeah. and he's being interrogated <laughs> but he's basically being interrogated by two people you have the lead singer of the band who he's just wants to going, sign everything yeah. and he's like yeah. oh this is a record deal this is amazing and his girlfriend who just you know I think he does call her Yoko at one point yeah, he has he, to she, it's he, like he's him trying to outwit her. Yeah. yeah so it's almost like a battle of wits between the two of them and the, the main character is called Marty Martin uh, Martin Mills I believe yeah. uh-huh. off the top of my head um, if you do like the sound of this title you can follow Martin Mills on Twitter mm-hmm. um, it's something I'll come to a bit later with that but uh, yeah the whole crux is just him trying to get them to sign this uh, contract but just in the middle of the issue sorry I should say the artist by uh, Moritat as well uh, did uh, Hellblazer for did Hellblazer I remember yeah. yep I remember him doing Jonah Hex as well in New 52 um, very very good artist and there's actually two sort of styles of art in this issue you've got the main crux of the art which is all set in this sort of um, this green room so to speak and then in the middle of it the uh, it just takes a total left turn and uh, it goes into a little um, almost soliloquy about how the music industry works. It's a wee bit like uh, like Fallout, or you know, yeah, you, you what do you, yeah, you call those yeah. things? Um, um, that's a good show. It's actually. like uh, oh, it's completely. You know, gone. you just expect uh, the it's music like an infomercial. Yeah, like it is like Yeah, I mean, just some sample, you know, dialogue from it. It's like you know, it starts off them saying, "Okay, allow me to break down the legal deal points." And some of the underlying psychology of my negotiation with Diane, Diane. who is the, the girlfriend <laughs> slash manager. Yeah. So, you know, he goes through the whole process of, you know, getting them signed, getting them onto the radio, dealing with the fat cats, how the money will be uh, divided between the, the artist and the company and all this kind of stuff. What's interesting here is, uh, you know, he says, first, Billy is the real deal. Maybe the voice of his generation, but that's besides the point. My concern is selling records, which is kind of you know it's the it's the the difference between I don't care lo- if you're good the, as long as I can sell the love of music and the business of music, which yeah. are two yeah. very very different things. Yeah, no, that's it, and it, it it sort of shows the entire trajectory of a successful band as they build up and build up. It goes into like them having drug problems and you know pissing it away on drugs, as they say, ugly mansions and gold plated jeeps with earth shattering sound systems. Um, it's it's just really fun the way it breaks it all down I have to say um, but like they start talking about they're giving an upfront uh, amount of money and then once the CD comes out <laughs> that's an advance those yeah. don't exist anymore <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like these days you pay you buy a CD for $16 the store gets $4 of that we sold the CD for $11 to a distributor of that 11 about one goes to manufacturing 150 to two dollar goes to the artist depending on how good their lawyer is <laughs> not depending on how good the music is the other seven goes right to the label um we can make money even if the artist digs a hole they can never get out of you know it's it's a very pessimistic view but i'm guessing a very realistic view <laughs> given that this man's insider knowledge of the music industry he makes it presentable and he makes a case for it from his own because you you're seeing his his perspective on it yeah and uh you're almost I, w- I wouldn't say on his side but you're almost um you do see his viewpoint yeah as most of the time i feel i would be on the the artist side you know i would love to see this rewritten uh, <laughs> in a generation 
that includes Spotify and YouTube oh, yeah. and uh, and the fact that physical media is no longer a thing yeah. and therefore well, Jeff Rovey does think CDs are going to come back around at some point yeah and some people think that vinyl's making a resurgence but it's not <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I know what you mean it's like he, he, I mean all the stuff he's talking about he's kind of a despicable human being yeah but his the, charm certainly comes the last through. part of the issue once you get past all uh -huh. the record industry stuff is he's basically told to suck the lead singer's dick to to uh, to secure the, the contract and you're actually like no no he doesn't and you it's know? funny because it's the manager slash girlfriend who's making that request yeah, yeah. Okay. and then the two sound guys in the background who want to watch too <laughs> and he says no gents that's not going to happen um, but before he is about to do it and all the rest he starts listing the details about why they should go with him you know he's you know this is an example of how he'll go really far for them um, if he wants something he'll get it by any means necessary all this kind of stuff and then the book just takes a complete left turn <laughs> on the last page um, a where, Mark Miller-esque splash page for yeah, the final where Martin Mills basically stand, like he was on his knees ready to do this and uh, then he just bursts up onto his feet pulls out two guns says I used to blow people's brains out for a living so do we got a deal yeah. <laughs> um, and then it goes into like a real this this is where this elevated it for me as well because the, the main story is, is excellent I loved it I've read it a couple of times but then it goes into a complete biography of Jeff Rogue and everything that he did um, and everything leading up to how this comic got made but then it also it tries to expand almost what a comic can do you know they set up a Spotify playlist they set up a fake Twitter profile for Martin Mills yeah, that you can yeah. follow and they'll be drip feeding little bits of information in between issues and stuff I like the idea of them trying to expand it beyond just the um, the comic book itself uh, but yeah I mean I, I just got I mean the cover's enough to sell it because it's essentially just Bowie on the cover yeah um, suspiciously similar to fame era David Bowie on the front mm, yeah. and I think what's interesting is whenever we're looking at the, the back matter there uh, on October 5th 2018 uh, a first time comic writer appeared at a panel at New York Comic Con with accomplished creators I admire he lists Jason Aaron Jim Bartell Joe Casey Jerry Duggan two of our favourites Kieran Gillen mm. and Stephanie Hans yeah um, what's interesting yeah this wasn't this was around a little I would almost say a golden month for image in yeah. the space of a month to six weeks you have Middle West number one Die number one and Gunning for Hits number mm -hmm. one three amazing examples of what indie comics can be about and three completely different genres yeah um, but I, I really felt like it was a little golden period like people talk a lot about the golden period of Vertigo when you had Hellblazer and you had Alamur Swamp Thing and you had 100 Bullets and you had Sandman and you had Preacher I think we're in that era with Image at the moment because they just keep knocking out of the park yeah um, oh you could say that about quite a lot of years per Image though yeah. well that, that's also <laughs> true that's also true but this but yeah, is, I'm, I'm this is the first time there's been a couple of new series in such a short space yeah. of time where every one of them has just been absolute top level and quality the attention doesn't even stop on the back cover which is uh, an amateur style yeah. poster for stunted for growth, stunted yeah. growth. Uh, <laughs> for the, exactly uh, tonight only three bucks all ages presented by Super Megabot which is Jeff Rovey's <laughs> actual uh, label actual yeah. stunted growth yeah class yeah just thoroughly wonderful we've actually restocked it three times and three times it's sold out um, you know it, it's one we're trying to get back in again because it's it's wonderful issue two is actually out tomorrow uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday night 
And the final word I will say, I'm gunning for hits is, um, just in case you listen to this, uh, Andy. Andy is a comic collector of 30 years, never been able to get his wife to buy a comic. I got her to buy Gunning for Hits, number one. <laughs> and not only that, she came in last Saturday and went, Gunning for Hits was great. So uh, I was quite quite proud of that. Maybe um, you should be in the A&R, man. Maybe so, you know. <laughs> I just don't want to have to get on my knees at any point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was our first pick from January, as I said. I've wanted to talk about that all month, but honestly, thoroughly wonderful. That's a fantastic book. Uh, yeah. Gunning for Hits, really number good. one, Jeff Rogue V and Moritat. Um, so it'll be a bit of a change of pace now and we'll actually move on to another relaunch I should say um, so Marvel recently got the rights back to this character for years there he was with Dynamite I want to say no, Dark Horse was it Dark Horse? Yeah. Uh, uh, Red, Red Sonja's Dynamite isn't it? Red Sonja's yeah. Dynamite yeah, 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 right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so Marvel recently got the rights back to this character um, I believe written by Jason Aaron no less uh, no better man no better man for this era. Man of the hour. I'll let uh, Roddy take it away on this one. Yeah, um, so I guess we'll, because it's January and Conan, and there's a few more that uh, are bi-monthly titles, um, but we're going to talk about Conan 1 and 2, just in case you haven't read number 2. We're maybe going to go into spoiler territories about it. But um, I love the, uh, I love the, the first page. I know, yeah. yeah. Um, but <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there, Keith. Um, just have to do a wee introduction first. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, Conan. Oh my goodness! It just um, so you've got Jason Aaron, obviously some beautiful covers by Isad Ribic. Yep. Oh, and yeah. then the art is Mahmoud A. Asrar, whose sequential art is stunning to me. Um, but what I well I guess we'll get to it but what I loved about it it respected the history of Conan it feels like Conan and it just yeah. it wasn't um, okay we're going to do an origin story again because it's like it just drops you straight in you it's reverent for everything that's came before it which I think is really good and this one the uh, first arc is called The Life and Death of Conan but um, even yeah going back to that first page you should probably you know what you should read it out really yeah I think so in your best Conan voice know O Prince that between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis in the gleaning cities and the years of the rise of the sons of Arius there was an age undreamt of when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world like blue mantle beneath the stars hither came Conan the Sumerian black haired sullen eyed sword in hand a thief a reaver a slayer with gigantic melancholies and gigantic mirth to tread the jeweled thrones of the earth beneath his sandaled feet mm -hmm. nice so um like you i think um you know what conan is you know what conan the barbarian is if you see it on shelves sword and sorcery you know what you're gonna get but i think uh jason Aaron brings a lot of grandeur to it mm -hmm. um and i love i just love how it's um it's Conan. It's just um, it's everything you thought it would be and more. Uh, first, first two pages of, of of agile story. The first page you see Conan as a newborn baby, his mother having just uh, having just cut the cord and she's given birth on the battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> and the second page, an older Conan as Conan the, the king, king <laughs> draped in the throne with a massive sword in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> that is an image though that makes me sad because for years Arnold Schwarzenegger has wanted to make a keen Conan yeah, movie. That's right. Older Conan. 
Uh, it's fun. He actually put a picture or a video up on Instagram the other day of him reading Conan issue three, saying he can't believe how good this series is. But uh, I guess the story follows a Conan that is between those two ages, uh, a younger man, uh, maybe younger than the Conan of Conan the Barbarian, the movie, Mm -hmm. or Conan the Destroyer. Um, Well, I think he is quite young because he's um, not the brightest of fellows, tricked by the witch. That's right. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a he's a reaver. He's in a you know he's he's obviously fighting for money. Yeah. Uh, you know for entertainment, and he ends up seduced by uh, seduced by the crimson witch. Yeah, and it certainly it's like it follows the old sort of Conan tropes. You know, he's he's just kind of traveling around, isn't he? Fighting and yeah, looking for yeah. money and drink and all kinds of violence. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really lovely. Uh, fantastic story um, and then towards the end it's many years later uh, we're in Aquilonia and uh, we find Conan the king vanquishing his enemies because you know what is best in life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know so it crosses it crosses time periods and uh, yeah it's a really, a really lovely story and the, you know the, the end of the story connects back to the connects back to the start yeah. in the middle um, I think that's going to be really interesting as well yeah. like how what are they going to do are they going to jump back and forth all the time are well, you going to see <coughs> excuse me it's interesting because you know Jason Aaron has done that with Thor he's uh, you know he's most of his his Thor has focused on on the Thor that we know but there's also the younger, more gregarious Thor, who's living amongst ah, yeah. the Norsemen yeah. uh, back in, you know, nine hundred AD or something, and uh, and then there's the older uh, Thor, King Thor, uh, the Odin son, as as the king of Asgard, you know. So there's something similar going on yeah. here. Um, there's a there's a prose tale, uh, three pages at the end of each yeah. uh, of each issue, which is uh, a tale of Conan the Barbarian in twelve parts. And it's really interesting yeah. too. <laughs> Again, kind of like the similar to Gunning for Hits, sort of like expanding what comics can be, I guess. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it, it feels is like... Is it also written by Jason Aaron, the uh, No, it's not. Uh, uh, John C. Hawking, uh, dedicated to Roy Thomas, who was a writer on Marvel's Conan before. Yeah. Uh, this is actually, although it's issue one of Conan, it's legacy issue 276. Oh, uh, nice. Very good. But what's really interesting about both the the prose story and the book itself is it feels like Robert E. Howard. Yeah, it yeah, feels it like the, the Conan <laughs> the Conan story. Feels you know, like you just picked it up and you're in that sun drenched, bloody, violent world, you know. Yeah, and it really, it really. I mean, we were talking about H. P. Lovecraft both last week and earlier on, and uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities between between Lovecraft and and Howard and how they were doing stuff. The second issue has him. Has him first hunting and then defending a tribe of Picts oh, yes, uh, in yeah. the Pictish wilderness, and that connects back to to the story in the first issue with uh, uh, these two kids that appear. Oh, uh, yeah. so it's uh, really, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah, good choice. Have you read it, Alan? I actually haven't. No, no I must jump on to it. Um, Savage sort of Conan's actually out tomorrow as well. Jerry Duggan, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't mind dipping into that as well but um, 
Yeah, Conan's been selling quite well for us, so it has. Uh, it was a hard title to gauge in the lead up to it because I did wonder how popular it would be, but I think good quality storytelling yeah. will always shine through. I so. think Marvel, probably Marvel fans, were kind of looking at it like, "Yeah, Jason Aaron, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick that up." Yeah. It was a, it was a good, good yeah. choice, <laughs> you know, because Jason Aaron and Thor, yeah, Jason Aaron and Conan, you know. It's interesting. It's nice to see. Um, that's Conan's not what I associate Marvel with, you know, but um. I'm very excited to see where it goes. Well, it's thrown a lot of weight behind yeah. it, as I say, yeah. doing obviously the main title, but also Savage sort of. So, um, and um, there was some stunning variant covers as well for it. And any time I see them on your shelves or like just on the internet or whatever, I just like just stop for a moment and go, "Oh my god!" Like Isad Ribic is just I can't fantastic. Those Ribic covers, yeah, They're fantastic. There's some there are some fantastic uh, variants as well. I can't remember the names of the artists now, but I think you guys had a few. Yeah, we had uh, a couple on, of the, on the wall. But although it was one of those titles that Marvel made it hard to order, you know, certain variants. There was one I really wanted, the Greg Hildebrandt ver um, oh, was variant. It? Oh man! Which we don't need the whole story on the Hildebrandts, but uh, it was something. Do you not have an R? <laughs> Keith and I can bust it out again. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, it was like a one to five hundred variant. Ah uh, yeah, was, uh, you had that. Um, it was big. The uh, old man Wolverine one or whatever it was called. It was like one of one thousand yeah. or something ridiculous. That is the but, case. Uh, but yeah, uh, as we did think, it might be a, a Marvel heavy month. We're going on to another Marvel title. Uh, it's going to be Keith taking it away on this one with another of uh, Marvel's exclusive writers. Uh, Chip Zdarsky on Invaders number one, uh, and it's fantastic. Uh, so invaders the invaders were uh, the team including Captain America Bucky Submariner the original Human Torch and a variety of others who uh, came together in World War 2 to fight on the Allied the Allied side of that particular conflict uh, this as I say written by Chip Zdarsky and uh, artists Carlos Magno and Butch Geis um, the the uh, Butch Geis, uh, he's illustrating the flashbacks to World War Two, mm -hmm. uh, and Carlos Magnus doing the main the main part of the story. The main characters in this are Captain America, Bucky Barnes, Namor the Submariner, and the original Human Human Torch, uh, who we know so well from Marvels. Um, Jim Hammond, the Android, and uh, as I say, these these heroes united during World War Two in order to, to, to fight against the Axis forces and all of them were affected by the, the dark times and what they saw in World War Two. but uh, to some extent maybe none more so than Namor the Submariner. So the Submariner has become very uh, dominant again in Marvel again through Jason Aaron's work on the Avengers so uh, it seems King, King Namor of Atlantis uh, is intent on igniting a war with the surface world and it's interesting because throughout Marvel history again as you maybe saw in Marvels uh, Namor has always flip-flopped between yeah. being a hero and being a villain um, even just in this comic book yeah, alone yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he kind of has both he, he does and there's you know there was a period after the war and before the start of Fantastic Four where Namor disappeared uh, and it's never been a story that's told the next time we saw Namor was whenever Johnny Storm found him as a hobo on the streets 
and I used his, I just read that actually. Yeah, yeah. in Marvel Tales. Tales. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he uh, he uses his this flame to remove the beard, and he finds it's, it's Namor, the Submariner. Um, I so, so the, oh sorry, go ahead. No, no I was just going to say um, I got the impression from reading that, and bear in mind I haven't read the best defense or anything. I got the impression he was sort of almost maybe not quite reluctant to help them in World War Two, but it, almost the sense that he sort of had to almost I don't know if he was like a maybe willing's not the right word but he almost Ooh. just had to be there I mean I guess there was an element of the fact that Atlantis was threatened by the Axis I, forces yeah um, but uh, Namor was always haughty and arrogant and so forth and so on but we start with a flashback um, with Namor under fire and uh, he seems to be folding under fire and stressed and He's he's on the ground and he, he he can't you know get control of himself. Clearly he's dehydrated. Uh, you know he's he's an Atlantean. He needs he needs to be in water. Um, and uh, I guess a soldier comes to, to save him. A guy named Tommy. Um, oh no, sorry, a guy named Randall. And then the Namor goes out to save a guy named uh, Tommy. They're worried that he just hasn't had enough water. Uh, he he can't save. He can't save Tommy. Uh, he's a human soldier. Eventually, Cap's at his side, making sure he's hydrated. You know, they win the battle, so forth and so on. Turns out, it's Namor having a, a nightmare about the war uh, now. And as I say now, Namor has gathered, he's gathered his Defenders of the Deep, which include a lot of uh, sea-based Marvel villains. Um, and his aide, a guy named uh, Macken, uh, comes to, to, to aid him. Uh, Namor's gathering. He's going to visit um, uh, an outland uh, Atlantic Atlantan, Atlantan tribe. You know who he wants to bring onto his side. To, to he's gathering an army to fight the surface world. Uh, and it seems initially that this guy Macken it could be a a typical you know uh, is Namor being manipulated by this guy this you know advisor you know that mm -hmm. sort of classic and I think they maybe manipulate you into thinking that uh, we. Uh, we segue to Cap, uh, who's training in Avengers Mountain. Uh, Jim Hammond, uh, the android human torch, who never edges, uh, like both Namor and Captain America, and now Bucky, um, you know, as a result of whatever. Um, Jim Hammond's writing a book about their experiences in World War Two. He wants to talk to Namor. That's not going to happen, uh, you know, but uh, Cap agrees to, to help uh, Jim you know do this we flash back again uh namor is and uh, they're, they're they're celebrating their victory in this battle in in france uh but uh you know cap is keen that everybody goes back to camp to uh you know because he wants everybody to attend the the, the funeral of tommy um you know including you know and the teammates that died including namor and bucky um but anyway, we go on. Uh, we go on through this, and it's uh, you know eventually, uh, Namor gets these Atlanteans onto his side. Uh, we see a few more flashbacks. Uh, Cap and Jim go to visit uh, one of the uh, Randall, the, the the soldier from World War Two, mm -hmm. who saved Namor originally, and uh, Jim is given a photograph, and a bunch of old photographs, or comes across a bunch of old photographs. And in those old photographs are a picture of Randall, Namor, and behind them, the very obvious bald 
form of none other than Professor Xavier. Uh, so suddenly we're realizing things are a little bit twisted because obviously, I don't know, for me, first thing I thought was, and the first thing Jim Hammond thought was, what's Charles Xavier doing with them? You know, at this time, mm. and this was during the time that Namor had disappeared in the Marvel Universe. And whenever he comes back, uh. see Namor, he comes back and his memory's gone. So uh, that's kind of interesting. But then what's even more interesting is uh, Namor is talking to his advisor, Macken. And uh, we see a flashback to whenever Tommy died. And we see Tommy's dog tags. And Tommy's dog tags list his name as Thomas J. Macken. And uh, the soldiers who are watching Namor and the advisor look up and say, who's he talking to? Clearly the king is mad. So Namor has created this advisor in his head who mm -hmm. shares a surname. He shares a name with the surname of this guy. Who, so Namor is clearly post-traumatic stress yeah, all yeah. over. So it's just, uh, I thought that was really chilling. You yeah. know, someone with the power of Namor, the power of Atlantis is, is completely mad, is suffering from post-traumatic stress from this human war. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah, be great I, I really liked it. I love the the um, cutting back and forth between mm -hmm. the underwater and the flashbacks. I really, really liked it. Um, is it Carlo Carlos Mag Magno? Yep. Um, Butch, uh -huh. Butch Guise. Or uh -huh. Do they did they split it? Yeah. Or is it so, all their sort of so the flashback scenes are Butch Guise. And, oh, the, yeah, right, and the, yeah. the modern day scenes are uh, yeah so great. some fantastic stuff yep. but I love Namor has such interesting capabilities does like he's such an interesting villain mm -hmm. although sometimes he's not so, a villain yeah, obviously uh -huh. but um, <laughs> but the, like, the power they have with him um, although like I know you'll probably be angry at me but a lot of that sounded quite like Aquaman trying, oh, to, yeah, wage, well, trying yeah. to wage war in the surface yeah, yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like I've just yep seen that I don't want to see it again it's, uh, but, um, well, it's interesting because that's you know in Aquaman you know Arthur is the hero yeah you know yeah. and it's his brothers it's, it's, it's his mad, family yeah. trying to but in this it's it, what makes Namor interesting and to me as a Marvel fan more interesting than yeah. than Aquaman is the fact that he does flip flop he's a much more uh, complex character I yeah. think I, I, um, love, I love how flawed he is yeah and I mean they've they've, they've talked about whether or not it's you know it's the fact whenever he's out of water you know the the dehydration affects his his brain chemistry or or but then we see the introduction of charles xavier here so maybe that's maybe this is all going to explain namor's flip-flopping between mm. good and evil or hero and villain or or is it just a matter of perception you know yeah, yeah. it's uh so yeah it's uh really interesting to see this and it was the best defense uh, the, the Defenders which featured Namor yeah. um, is referenced in this book as well so they go back and they're, you know I don't know if they're if they're pushing Namor more because of the Aquaman movie or, or what's going on but uh, yeah yeah it wouldn't surprise me in that sense but uh, I mean the best defense I thought was fantastic yep. as well yeah uh, great little mini series and very unique again with you know read it in whatever order you want almost mm -hmm. which I thought was very clever well, it's it's, uh, it's against the backdrop that Captain America you know the 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 ultimate soldier you know still sees Namor as a compatriot despite the fact he's you know he and Jason Arnn's Avengers he's faced him in battle he knows that Namor's preparing to wage war against the world you know he's an enemy of the Avengers you know but he still sees him as a as a brother in arms mm -hmm. you know uh, that's and that's his, that's his cap isn't it <laughs> yeah but I mean they, and he was you know yeah. and so it's so it's going to be interesting to see what positions this series puts yeah. cap into yeah 
Yeah. So the invaders were Namor, Bucky, Cap, and the Jim Hammond, uh, Union Jack, uh, Spitfire. Um, the wizard was in there somewhere. There's, there yeah. was, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of those. Be interesting to yeah. see if two, three, four feature them. The only thing that yeah. slightly kind of irked me was you only really get to see uh, like Winter Soldier, Bucky at the end. Mm. He didn't really have a role in that one per se in the in the present timeline. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he was there in the flashbacks, but um, yeah, really yeah. good, really, really good yep. book. Good. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll get to see him more in number two. <laughs> Well, whether number two makes it into our best of February next month will be one thing, but there will be a Zdarsky title in there, I can tell you already, because Daredevil number one was bloody awesome. <laughs> haven't read it yet, look um, forward to it. Yeah, uh, so that'll be for next month. Um, <laughs> although in saying that, we are continuing our Marvel love-in at the moment, <laughs> and this one actually comes Jesus. from me. Um, so the next one is uh, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. Uh, this is a title written by Tom Taylor. Um, who I massively respect first of all because he refuses to be held down to one label or the other he has publicly said I love characters from both why would I want to limit myself so he, uh, we obviously waxed there at the last month about the Batman annual number 3 that he wrote Father's Day mm-hmm. uh, he's responsible for the Injustice uh, Gods Among Us universe uh, but then on the Marvel side of things he's writing Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man now this is a title that is just absolutely wonderful. I mean, you can tell just from the first couple of pages, bright blue skies. This is going to be a fun title. There's going to be joy in here. Um, I mean, even the second page, it's an artist called Juan Cabal. The second page is a massive splash page of Spider-Man flying through New York. Class splash page. Double page. But what's too? great about yeah. it as well is in all the backgrounds of all the buildings is essentially Spider-Man's history. Everything from death of Gwen Stacy to being bitten by the spider to Aunt May being there to meeting Miles Morales to J. Jonah Jameson to, you know, um, the Goblin to Venom to, to yeah, yeah, Spider-Man and Spider-Dog Ock taking over Spider-Man's body. Black Cat in the background there as well. Um, it's just... A wonderful start to the title and it kicks off with this part where Ivan is going to, like he introduces himself I should say as I'm the friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man and this is my neighbourhood this is not going to be a Keith Breeze a sigh of relief finally <laughs> <laughs> you know this this is not going to be a the world is ending we need Spider-Man yeah. this is going to be very much focused on his neighbourhood I mean the follow up line to I'm the friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man is and this is my neighbourhood uh-huh. yeah. nice. um, so he saves this van and uh, this led to one of my favourite moments I've read in the comic in a long time he saves his father and daughter and I love it he jumps through the, the van and says go limp and he then he like thinks in his mind go limp what kind of instruction is that instantly relax while you're falling to your death and I'm screaming at you <laughs> um, but Spider-Man swings out saves them he's holding the little girl and then she just starts screaming and she tries to splat the spider um, the emblem on his chest symbol yeah. on his chest because she's obviously afraid of Spider-Man and she goes squish I, I don't know why that just brought <laughs> so much joy to me but again it shows Spider it, it shows that Tom Taylor understands these characters I think because you know the, the guy who Spider-Man saves is obviously well off and he tries to give Spider-Man money and he says you know please we have more than enough take this and Spider-Man just says look I tell you what they're good people camping out in the corner of Third and Bowery. You know, these, you know, people are war veterans. They've had troubles at home. 
give them as much cash as you can spare and that pays off later later in the issue so it does um, passion fame he's ignored action is his own reward <laughs> how long have you been storing that one up for <laughs> um, it's just a brilliant book it's uh, it's everything I want from a Spider-Man book as, some th- as someone who's not as overtly familiar with the character as certainly Keith would be and you know people with you know the depth of the Marvel characters it's just little things in it are just awesome um, I think uh, this book's great because everybody knows how Peter Parker got his powers and you know he's a cultural icon we know how yeah. Spider-Man became Spider-Man we know who Peter Parker is I think that's all you need to know to come into this yeah. really so it's a good start it's a really good start just uh, looking at the pages there it reminds me of the ultimate Spider-Man universe it was mm-hmm. very don't want to say cartoony but the the colouring certainly very a lot of primary colours very snappy very bright um, I love this as well um, Peter's roommate is listening to music and instead of skull candy earphones are scroll candy <laughs> oh, nice <laughs> Peter's uh, Peter's erstwhile roommate, who is uh, Fred uh, Fred Myers, uh, the B-less villain. Yeah, well established in yeah, Spider-Man. Exactly. Yeah, but um, what's good about it is, I mean, so it's got its uh, primary upfront tail, but then it actually has a little backup tail, which is possibly a little bit more normal mm-hmm. Spider-Man based, a um, little darker, a little more set at night. But it's heartbreaking, so it is. It's primarily deals with Aunt May. Um, so it does as uh, Peter is chilling out, enjoying the view with uh, it's Mary Jane. It's well, he's back it? with he's back with MJ, which is yeah. fantastic as well. Um, but you know the the fr- the upfront tale was all light and fun, and then this one's a bit more serious. So it sort of shows Tom Taylor can do both. He as he did establish, of course, with uh, Batman Annual, he can tug at the heartstrings when he wants oh, to. Oh, big style, and as, as I say, well. that's, that, that's going to be a tearjerker, that yeah. backstory. Well, we, I think we already established with yeah. issue five, especially, mm. for that. But um, I think this is a well-titled book, uh, because I think it brings... Whereas, where Amazing Spider-Man is a much bigger title, which just come out of the back of Spider-Geddon, which is you know multiverse jumping, and mm-hmm. uh, into the Spider-Verse, which is multiverse jumping, and... <laughs> You know, uh, and and then you've Peter's got all your tie-ins that are coming too. Uh-huh. Um, so and yeah. you know, Peter's been the the high flying head of Parker Industries, and then that's gone, and you know, all of this stuff. This really brings it back to the just as it says in the title, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah great book, really fantastic. Was there one or two this month? Well, there was two issues. I mean, just continued with that. Um, I mean, I was happy. Again, we've discussed about sort of, you know, monthly titles versus fortnightly titles, so on and so forth. But with something like this, I was more than happy to get a second issue straight away. Yeah. Um, admittedly, the backup story was missing more from this and it focused more on the primary story. Well, I mean, I think the backup story was in the first issue for a specific reason. I think that backup story is going to echo through the main title. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just needed to be told. Uh, the second issue, again, is much the same. Uh it's great because this book ties into the Amazing Spider-Man. Um, you know, it ties into the fact that you know he has roommates. He's living in the same yeah. apartment. He's with MJ. Kingpin is the mayor of New York. But uh, issue two just continues the story uh, with these two kids and the mysterious strangers who were who were trying to find them and the the, the old woman who lives uh, who lives <laughs> down the down the road. But this uh, this uh, issue 
features one of the greatest uh, friendships in the Marvel Universe uh, yeah. between uh, Spider-Man and the Human Torch. Uh, so it was great to see the Torch uh, back in his Fantastic Four costume. Um coming over to babysit <laughs> oh, oh yeah just as someone's looking up at Peter Parker's apartment you know Spider-Man uh, fires away about them just so they can't see and uh, Johnny Storm turns up he's like what are you doing there's a guy out there watching the building oh did he see no I waved his face I told you to be discreet I was being discreet that's why I was coming through the window how is a man on fire flying through my window discreet? <laughs> it's a, the, the, the banter between those two. But even, even that leads out the front. Because the two kids, are they come out of a little laundry basket and the first thing Johnny says is, are, are, are they mine? <laughs> and he says, what? No, but we're definitely coming back, going to circle back to you thinking that's a possibility. Um, yeah, it establishes their, their friendship. I mean, you, you can tell there's years of friendship there yeah. within a page. You know, uh, that, that's how good the writing is. Um, and then there's some great fight scenes in it as well, some great splash pages. Um, there's a call back to the first issue when the uh, the detective, uh, Shari Sevens, appears, uh, says, nice work here. Spider-Man says, seriously? She <laughs> says, yeah, she saved a lot of people. And he's like, are you uh, new? And she goes, I am. Just started the precinct this week. We were supposed to be moving in earlier today, but my husband drove our truck off a bridge. <laughs> Which, of course, is the truck that Spider-Man saved yep. the daughter on, on the first issue. Uh, she sa- He says, oh, and she says, yeah, seems I owe you my whole world. <laughs> and then he just uses his uh, spider web to grab a bumper with a license plate and goes, in that case, can you run this plate for me? Um, Great dialogue. Yeah, it's just... Uh, but even just little things like um, she then gives Spider-Man her card and then he goes to like put it in his pants and she's like, are you putting my card in your pants? I, I don't have pockets. <laughs> and then like, there's a thought bubble. This is actually a long-running issue. Uh, it's just thoroughly, thoroughly wonderful. So it is... It's, I mean, I'm enjoying Amazing Spider-Man as well, but I think even in just two issues, I personally... And again, that's just a personal opinion, but I think this is better. And within two issues, um, like I'm really looking forward to issue three. As I say, I think they're two different. Uh, they're two different levels of titles. I think this yeah. is really bringing it back to the uh, to the friendly and the neighbourhood. Mm-hmm. You know, as it says in the title. So yeah, so, good to see. And then just mentioning Tom Taylor there, he is uh, continuing to tease something on Twitter called DC Eased or Deceased, Deceased. <laughs> uh, and he's really enjoying teasing it. And I wish he would hurry up and tell us what it is because he's certainly got our attention but uh, I mean there's two months in a row we've mentioned titles of his and two very different titles um, what do you got for us Roddy so Roddy's next yeah, up yeah um, so we are going to go from three Marvel titles in a row we're actually gonna we're gonna <laughs> jump into a bit of Dark Horse which I don't know if we've done before might have to look back in the archives um, so as you were saying that's a very friendly neighbourhood local sort of title so we're going to jump into space for this next one and go for Aliens Resistance. Um, so it's a title that I was massively looking forward to. Um, I haven't, there was Aliens Defiance, which I didn't read, but um, Dead Orbit was an absolutely fantastic uh, graphic novel. And um, Dark Horse had the Alien, have had the Alien license for a long, long time. And it's just I think every comic that I've read has been brilliant. Really enjoying William Gibson's Alien 3 at the minute. Yes, yeah, that's another one. I think we 
think we mentioned that a good few times. Yeah. <laughs> new, issue, new issue tomorrow as well. Is that the last issue tomorrow? Uh, I don't I think, think it's, so. I think it's, think it's five. It's either five or six. But, um, it's four out tomorrow. Yeah, so this one, um, I think we were talking about it earlier. Alien Isolation was a game that came out for PS3, back, Xbox 360, all that good stuff. Or maybe it was just PS3. I don't no, know. no, Xbox 360. Was it, yeah. Um, so, absolutely fantastic game. I explained to it. I explained to Keith it was a runaway simulator. <laughs> so basically, um, it follows the events of the original uh, Alien film. Um, it's got Ellen Ripley's daughter, Amanda. Yep, Amanda got that right. Um, she's basically trying to find out what's happened to the Nostromo. Will and Jutani have obviously covered it up as they are masters of doing. Is this during the time that Ripley is off world? or She's in crowd sleep, yeah. so she gets woken up. <clears throat> at the start of Aliens having been asleep for I think it's 67 years yeah. now you only find out in the director's cut and we all know I'm an advocate for director's cuts um, that Ripley had a daughter and that she's died in the time that Ripley was in Crowsley right. mm. so this is obviously the story of when her daughter was alive but at this time yeah, yeah end of Alien think, uh, Ripley's in Crowsley 15 years Alien Isolation after, after Alien, alien. Okay. Um, but yes um so it's a really great title uh, written by Brian Wood and it's got mm -hmm. art from an Irish artist who I've been following for quite some time Robert Carey and he's absolutely fantastic I know he's done work for Batman in the Shadow and uh, I think some Power Ranger stuff as well um, but I've seen him seen him grow and to see him do his art on this I think it's actually I don't want to say better than um, William Gibson's Alien 3 but it's fantastic it's really gorgeous to look at it really pops um it's got that neon vibe mm -hmm. but he also gets to play around with like earth at the start um the protagonist from aliens defiance um is zula hendrix and it's like what you were saying by friendship in spider-man it's like they have she is friends with zula hendrix amanda ripley and Basically, they go to task and they're trying to take down the Wayland Jutani Corporation, who are attempting to silence those two with their stories from not the Nostromo. I can't remember the name of the ship in isolation. Um, it'll probably come to me after the podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's definitely a must read if you're an Alien fan. It definitely carries on the story and it's it's got a good balance. Um, because sometimes with Alien, it's like, you know what you're going to get. And it's like horror, corporate greed, stroke conspiracy. Yeah. But I think this one's got a really good balance. And they've managed to they've managed to find two characters that are actually very... You really care about them. Like, from the moment you're introduced to them. Which is, in some Aliens comics, it's, like, hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I love, I love Robert Carey's art. Um, it can be very claustrophobic at times, too. Well, everything's very close in and yeah it's very focused but then towards the end he gets to draw like aliens going nuts and it's really 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 good series I'm looking forward to the next one um, I know you guys haven't read it so yeah I would throw a what shout out to Brian Wood being the author of that he's yeah. someone I'm a fan of he did this great uh, series called The Massive I don't know if mm -hmm. you read it was like 30 issues there thereabouts and it's um, it was set in a post-war, post-crash, post-disaster, post-everything world. Um, it was uh, it focused on this character called Captain Callum Israel, 
who was an environmentalist. But what does it mean to be an environmentalist after the world's already ended? Was that on the ship? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So the massive, the the massive was the name of their sister ship they were searching for. That's right. Yeah. But he, um, he was the head honcho of a ship called the Capital, and they were scouring the ocean looking for the massive. But it dealt with everything from you know pirates in this post-apocalyptic world Yarr. to resources. <laughs> it went into his back history of him being like special forces and all that. It was really, really great title. I, I'm a fan of Bramwood. I have to say, Sevastopol is the ship from Alien Isolation. Oh, you got there, there with the dip. Yeah, definitely didn't look it up on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear any clicking yeah. there. That was all um, in your head. But yeah, um, I must say this is this is one to pick up if you haven't read it. Um, really good title. Really good. I guess yeah. The chat chat sort of dies when uh, nobody else has read it. Haven't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, uh, certainly it wouldn't have been Alien as a franchise. I enjoy the movies yeah. up to a point. Um, but you know, reading Alien Three, William Gibson's Alien Three, uh, it's sort of piqued my interest. Yeah, like it, Dead, yeah. Dead Orbit would be a good one. It sort of got me back into them because I knew there was uh, they had done like four issue miniseries, like a collection of four issue miniseries before that. But Dead yeah. Orbit was like a sort of standalone um, graphic novel that was released, and it's it's just blinding, it's, uh, absolutely James Stoko, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, the Alien franchise is alive and well in comics and I think treated with much more respect and reverence than you could argue the movies are these days. Um, there's a whole host of Alien ones out there. There was a recent one, Dust to Dust, as well. Um, as you say, the Alien 3 adaptation, now Alien Resistance. So um, the Aliens comics are a big big seller in our store in general. Um, really? Even yeah. the older trades and stuff, yeah, 100%. So, uh, no, there's loads of good stuff with Aliens. Um, so yeah after that brief sojourn to a indie comic uh, we're back to Marvel again god this is killing me at the moment um, <laughs> so this is another one that Keith wanted to, uh, to spotlight a little bit um, so this is uh, Doctor Strange number 10 uh, but more importantly the number 10 this is Legacy number 400 uh, by Mark Wade and Jesus Saez um, so it's a it's an anniversary issue and it follows on from the the main story Doctor Strange has returned from his adventures across the galaxy to find himself the recipient of a most unusual visitor from the past in the lead story called Remittance let's say by Mark Wade and uh, Jesus Saez uh, and a number of others a uh, number of other artists um, Doctor Strange is visited by his teacher uh, the ancient <laughs> one the man who taught Doctor Strange everything he knows about magic his his mentor his sensei um and it seems that the the ancient one had been had been dead he had evolved to the astral plane but it seems uh, he's mortal again partly not by his own choice as he was uh, pulled from the immortal world the astral plane by um an in- an individual known as uh Hawthorne. uh seems to be a, a regular guy uh, Hawthorne pulls well not clearly not regular for using magic to pull uh, <laughs> to pull the ancient one the most powerful magician in the, the Marvel the Marvel world uh, and uh, with his demon associate Paniculus remove the knowledge of magic from the ancient one's head uh, mm-hmm. and then the ancient one finds himself at his pupil's door uh, the, the spells that have maintained the ancient one's body for so long 
Obviously the Ancient One no longer knows this with his magic ability gone, so he is dying quickly. So Strange works very, very quickly to try and preserve the Ancient One's life. Uh, to teach him, to teach his old teacher magic from knowing nothing. You know, the man who taught him, he's now, he's now teaching, you know, and so the master becomes the student and the student becomes the master. Classic sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, and, and Doctor Strange is, is giving the Ancient One what little of his, his own uh, life force that he can afford. He lessens his own life by, by weeks in order to try and, and, and keep the Ancient One alive. This links back to a number of other, um, the last 10 issues, um, you know, where uh, a former student uh, of, of Doctor Strange's called Casey Kinmount was enthralled by an unnamed force and debased and manipulated. And it all comes back to the fact that all magic has a price mm-hmm. uh, in Marvel. You can't just cast, you just can't just cast spells willy nilly there'll always be a price there'll always be a price whether that you know has been the fact that Doctor Strange hasn't been able to eat regular food uh, as was shown in the last uh, series uh, or or something more uh, spiritual or more karmic um, so anyway Doctor Strange goes to find the magical accountant uh, who is and ends up in a effectively a a plane where it, it, it is that it's, it's a whole lot of creatures accounting <laughs> for, for Doctor Strange and there he comes face to face with uh, Hawthorne who it turns out is the head consultant of this and uh, he goes into Hawthorne's office and uh, Doctor Strange is stressed he's not in the mood for cuteness and uh, he's quickly overpowered by Hawthorne who it appears has uh, Doctor Strange's old uh, partner Wong um, his recent apprentice Zelma and his uh, sometime lover uh, and partner Kana uh, held hostage all of this to lure Strange here in order to pay the price that uh, he has incurred. Uh, Hawthorne talks about all the various demons and uh, extra planar entities and the elder things that Doctor Strange uh, owes a debt of magic to. Um, so it's bringing it's bringing in all the stuff you know that's recently come up in the comics. It's great. Uh, fortunately, uh, Doctor Strange, who is now short of his magic, thanks to Hawthorne being in control of that magic. Uh, reveals that he is also a master martial artist, thanks to uh, his long time uh, his long time servant Wong, uh, teaching him. And well, people. Wong does train at the school of the deadly arts, King's Dominion. Of course, Benedict Wong. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Strange overpowers this. Uh, Strange overpowers this guy. Freezes, uh, freezes pre- his friends, but it soon becomes clear that. Uh, that Hawthorne has been trying to help Strange, that Strange is one of the worst abusers of the price of magic, that his debt has grown so high that uh, to, to people like Ragador, Icon, Moonpour, Dormammu, uh, that they decided he'd not been paying them back fast enough, that Hawthorne tried to help Strange, made restitution by removing his magic altogether, which is why at the start of this series, Tony Stark had to, strange, had to send Doctor Strange to... Uh, to other planets to, to the, around the galaxy to to find out more about magic you know and uh, Hawthorne reinterprets this he goes but like a spoiled child you fled to worlds unknown taught yourself magic and you drawing magic not just from the familiar but from alien entities you'd never heard of redoubling your debts until one of your accountants finally lost their tolerance and demanded your entire planet in return and then it becomes clear that that uh, account that debtor 
was Dormammu of the Dark Dimension, one of Doctor Strange's uh, enemies. So, uh, so yeah, the uh, it seems that the the full team Dormammu's race are uh, are running are overrunning Earth. So, yeah, it's a really interesting, really interesting story. Really, really interested to see where it's going to go. Uh, there's a couple of lovely backstories. Uh, one in which, uh, well, three three lovely backstories. Um, uh, one in which was one in which Mark Wade retells Doctor Strange's origin and the fact that uh, it seemed that in the, in the early days, whenever uh, Baron Mordo was the original uh, sorcerer's apprentice of the Ancient One and was was gearing up to uh, to betray uh, the Ancient One, uh, that. That it turns out the ancient one always knew all about it, so they've retconned mm-hmm. it. You know that the ancient one—it wasn't actually Doctor Strange that saved the ancient one. The ancient one knew all about it already. He was looking for an excuse to get rid of Dormammu and take Stephen Strange as an apprentice anyway, uh, which was uh, which is it's kind of cool. Uh, different take on that. Lovely double splash page of all the various uh, faces of Doctor Strange, and then there was a a great uh, a great backstory, three or four pages. Um, about Nightmare, one of Doctor Strange's enemies, uh, called Perchance, um, and it seems that whenever Nightmare falls asleep, he has nightmares about Doctor Strange. So <laughs> they like the end of that where they were saying like, uh, "Don't let me sleep." Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's like dot dot dot. Don't let me dream. Yeah. So looking forward to seeing what's happening here. Doctor Strange, without his magic, owing this debt, this whole idea of magic, magic has a price, has been really predominant in Doctor Strange for for quite a wee while. So uh, let's just see how how these accountants collect. Cool. Sounds very interesting. Yeah, it's really it's a really cool tech. Yeah, Mark Wade's a fantastic writer. Best Daredevil writer out there. I will not mention well, Brubaker again. Brubaker, the Brubaker. <laughs> and the, until I finally get to read that yeah. and then reevaluate my yeah. opinion. Um, yeah, so that was Doctor Strange number 400. Um, another anniversary issue there for Marvel. Um, I'm delighted to say we finally get to a bit of DC stuff. It only took us seven titles. <laughs> <laughs> We've mentioned more indie titles. Oh, we can, um, we can skip this one if you want, if you want to make it. Uh, as much as I love to make it a clean sweep, but all right. Um, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to throw a bit of mention out. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it a lot on this uh, podcast, but um, Tom Kane's run on Batman just, I think, continues to be just great, great storytelling. Um, I, I will admit with this current arc, um, although it is on a slight break for Heroes in Crisis time, uh, the first issue of Nightmares, which was Batman 61, um myself included I wasn't really sure what he was trying to do and a lot of people said the same thing to the point where Tom Keane came out on Twitter and said look you're supposed to feel disorientated I want you to know as much as Batman I want you to discover these things at the same time as him Remind me about issue so issue 61 was to do with Master Bruce um, who's the um, the you know the one who carves um, Thomas and Martha oh, into the, his the, face the psycho killer who thinks he is who Bruce thinks, Wayne yeah. yes so um, you never. I, it, it was such an abrupt shift, a shift, because issue sixty ended with Flashpoint Batman turning up in the back case. Yes, that's right. And suddenly, out of nowhere, you were onto this story about Master Bruce. Um, but Tom King came out and said, "Look, Nightmares is going to be a seven-issue arc. It's going to be a different artist in each issue, which I think so far has worked wonderfully." Um, so I just wanted to highlight with sixty-two. I thought it got back on track. 
It is a um, issue that focuses on a villain called Professor Peak, a Grant Morrison creation. What a cover! Oh yeah, what an, I like. Um, I thought I would stay silent for this because I don't read Batman, <laughs> but um, that cover alone is just phenomenal. Yeah, the cover's stunning. It's uh, Professor Pig um, who's standing in an abattoir, saying "Little bat, little bat, let me in," and there's blood splatter all over it, but in the shape of you know Batman on the on the back wall. Um, this entire issue. It's a weird thing to say in a way, but it reminded me a little bit of the dream logic out of Inception, uh -huh. where they say with dreams, you never really remember how you got there. Mm -hmm. You're just suddenly there. Definitely had a dreamlike quality, didn't it? Yeah. And it just starts off where Batman's hanging upside down, saying, open your eyes, open your damn eyes. And then he's trying to get a sense of where he is. There's no explanation as to how he got where he was, but he's suddenly hanging upside down, tied up, and Professor Pig is just dancing around him with a knife. And Batman can't hear anything. Um, you know, it's like he's saying he's talking. They always talk. Let them brackets. Why can't you hear them? You know, that's um, his logical mind trying to reassert itself. Clearly, absolutely. You know, and and it gets to the point where he starts thinking about the rope. And he's like, the rope is having fun now, twisting and turning, giving way, one finger free. That's enough. So the whole issue is essentially just Batman trying to get free, and then um, getting into a fight with Professor Pig and taking him down. The reason this issue stood out for me, because it's it's quite a simple story, but the reason is the art by Mitch Dreads. Now, yeah. Mitch Dreads is a long-time collaborator of Tom King's, worked on the Sheriff of Babylon together, okay. worked on Mr. Miracle together. So they put the band back together for this oh, one? big time. These, two bring, the, these two bring the best out of each other. Um, the, the stuff is just fantastic, so it is. And they both love the whole nine-panel structure of something like Watchmen. So you can see they divide a lot of the pages into three widescreen panels, so it gives it a very filmic quality. Yeah. But for every so often they'll break it down as well and go into sort of that nine panel type style. Um, but yeah, you're, you're trying to work out what's going on in this story at the same time the Batman's trying to work out what's going on in the story. And it actually ends with Little Pig, yeah, sorry, with Professor Pig saying like, <laughs> Little Pig, Little Pig, you know, let me in. And then suddenly Damien is behind the mask and uh, Batman has no idea what's going on. And then straight away, his logical mind clicks into force again. He says, evaluate, reassess. There's a metaphor, a myth, a story, a dream. Um, so it, it was just a wonderful one shot. Just the art was so visceral and just fantastically brutal, but also had this beautiful sort of poetry to it. Um, I just, I, I adored this issue. I have to say, I think it's been the best of the nightmare issues so far. Um, but Keith is now here to challenge that opinion. Yeah, I disagree. Um, <laughs> In fact, not even challenge that opinion. Flat out disagree. I disagree. I, I guess uh, that achieved what it was supposed to achieve with me because mm -hmm. I was totally disoriented. And yeah. actually, your explanation has made me want to go back and read it again. Mm -hmm. um, but in initial reading I certainly preferred uh, issue 63 yeah. which is the following issue oh this issue uh, broke my heart though yeah yeah and I, I mean I think that's maybe that was one of the things that, that I enjoyed about it I was less disoriented uh, it featured Constantine or at least Constantine in one form or other mm -hmm. because by the end of this issue and I see now that whenever we talk about 61, 62 and 63 uh, slowly but surely throughout those three issues uh, Batman's logical mind is reasserting itself yeah. in this situation, which is not reality. Yeah. Um, and by the end of this issue, we find we have a, a 
a better idea of what it is and in this issue uh, Batman's logical mind is represented by Constantine which is strange because Constantine's a figure of magic mm-hmm. and not logic um, but it goes back through uh, it goes back through the wedding uh, Batman 50 your, your, your favourite uh, or the wedding that didn't happen Love me. Uh, that's why this issue breaks my heart because it sort of shows what would have happened if they if had the, got married the, yeah if the wedding you had know, happened could Bruce you know could he split himself from his wife and trust her to be on the other side of town taking down criminals mm-hmm. while he's taking down another side would she be safe is it his job as a man and a husband to protect her but he's never going to be able to do that you know she's independent she's you know she's more than capable herself um, and it's it's uh, it's interesting because I mean, I, I love the clean art in here. It's uh, Mikel Jamon, yeah. 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 And, uh, Another, you know, often collaborator with uh, with Tom Keane. He did the War of Jokes and Riddles mm, with him as well. That's right, and I love the art in that. I like clean lines. Yeah. Uh, and that's why that upset, the issue 62 upset me a wee bit mm-hmm. more. Um, so well, I like really clean We're so different. Was it? That, we're so different because that, that, to me, um, 63. Yeah. It's like, it's good, it's lovely. But that sixty-two is just like oh god. Yeah, it's yeah, just, I, yeah. Absolutely, it's completely all over the show, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's, I think it'll it'll line up a lot better after yeah. we've talked about. It, but I think what's interesting is we see Constantine talking here, and uh, he's in some strange places. I mean, <laughs> Bruce is just getting in the shower with uh, Selena, and uh, there's uh, Constantine smoking a cigarette in his in his uh, dirty long coat, uh, sitting on the toilet. <laughs> talking to Bruce Bruce doesn't question what he's there what he's saying is I don't need your help and this is because Bruce knows I think that that this is that Constantine represents his own logical side he represents the bat yeah you know and he's trying to help him he's trying to tell him that this isn't real and Bruce desperately wants this to be real yeah. uh, you know so by the end uh, you know there's there's a lovely some lovely dialogue here uh, between um between Selena and Bruce regarding the clock that gives you access to the Batcave uh, she says I think you should get a remote uh, it's 1048 or maybe a fingerprint scanner right here uh, if you just move the hands to 1048 or like the face identifier thing that's on phones 1048 is when my parents died <laughs> <laughs> you know I know I know honey it's very sad and you have all my sympathies but using that as a code for your secret clock it's it's not so healthy <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, uh, some great dialogue there, and uh, eventually Bruce, you know, gets into a fight with Constantine, knocks him down, doesn't want to listen to him, you know, uh, and, uh, and finally we find uh, we find ourselves uh, on the rooftop. Um, inevitably, uh, Selena is dead. Uh, it was a sniper it was just like Dick he talks about the beast he talks about yeah, Batman, uh, 55. Batman 55 and uh, and and Bruce admits uh, well Constantine tells Bruce they've got you strapped to some machine using scarecrow gas to induce this all of this mm-hmm. whatever came before whatever comes next you're trying, they're trying to drive you bleeding mad you're here to help me to get me out Ah no, I'm sorry, friend. I'm here to tell you you can't get out. You'll never get out. You will go mad. Uh, you know, and he, he admits that he's he's not John. It's not John Constantine that he is, in fact. Uh, 
himself, another yeah. aspect of himself, which is interesting because you know the previous page we see John Constantine coming up in an elevator by himself, chatting to uh, to someone else. Yeah, and I'm not sure who that someone else is. Um, but yeah, I mean, if this is all taking place in Batman's mind, Wayne's where we see it in a. Yeah, maybe there's even two versions of Constantine yeah. within this. Maybe he has infiltrated this somehow, but. But yeah, whenever you line that up as a seven-part issue, that's all taken part. Yeah. You know, in Batman's mind, that that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and read sixty-one and sixty-two again. Yeah, and then of course, you know, DC <laughs> continuing to bequeath us with amazing uh, scheduling. They decided to then take a break from this for two issues to do um, the Heroes in Crisis tie-in. Uh, which Tom Keane is not even writing, although it is in the more than capable hands of uh, Joshua Williamson, Flash Rider. Um, but yeah, I would have, I would have really enjoyed continuing with the Nightmares arc and seeing what happens with every issue. But um, so it's taking taking a break mid arc. Yes. Yep. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So sixty four begins with a little caption saying, <clears throat> "Nightmares will continue in issue sixty six. These two issues took place during Heroes in Crisis, so it's just which takes place before Batman sixty one. Oh, scheduling's yeah. just yeah. a bit all over the place. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is this is this the knock on from Doomsday Clocks? Um, long drawn out. Long drawn oh, out. No, let's not blame Doomsday Clock for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to blame it for plenty, um, including testing our patience. That's a beautiful thing you've got in front of you there, Ronnie. That is, and um, we're going to be moving back into the world of indie comics again. Um, we may have you may have heard us. <laughs> you may have heard us talk about this title before. I don't know if we mentioned this at any point. Uh, maybe a time or two. I think so. I mean, this is very quickly, and considering it's only at issue three, very quickly become our biggest pull for indie comics. But we're not going to talk about issue three because it's no. It, no, February. That'll be February. Although I look forward to talking about it. Great world building issue. Um, we're actually going to talk about issue two of die by image comics so we got stephanie hans the artist kieran gillen the writer and clayton cause who is the letterer is he hopefully not colorist right probably need to research that <laughs> great introduction everyone <laughs> he's just so um, blown away by the book itself yeah it's i was that. right i was right i messed up never, mess doubt, yourself. Like, yeah, never doubt never doubt yourself. But anyway, so number one of Die, which I believe we talked about wax lyrical on how good it was. 16 teenagers disappear into fancy role-playing land. Only five returned in 2018. Five adults are dragged back to discover the six wants them to still play. Pretty cool. So Kieran, and Gil Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans have created this amazing fancy world. In number one, we sort of got the setup. We got how everything happened we got the jump we got a couple of time jumps the 20 years so they go dis they disappear in their 16th birthday or one of their 16th birthday and they travel to a fancy land of dungeons and dragons kind of fame and then they come back but only five of them come back then obviously we join them by 20 odd years later nothing really is going right for them yeah they've completely lost touch with each other um, they and it also establishes very quickly they've never talked about what happened yeah because they're not allowed to talk about what happened exactly yeah we talk about fact whereas fact. so number one we got there was sort of a little bit of nostalgia to it, like you were saying about like you know your mum button in to like you were, they weren't old enough to go to the pub but they weren't 
young enough to have a birthday yeah um whereas i think number two is just it's pretty much entirely within the fantasy land and it's it's bleak the nostalgia i think has just completely vanished from it these are people who don't want to be here no they've been here before they've suffered through it they don't want to be here again and they're now adults and they're also um, facing their demons for who they left there, mm-hmm. and they, yeah. they're they're now re-inhabiting the characters that they they lived as in the, in the world they were in, and I love that I love that page at the start which shows you their their dice oh, the and players, their names yeah. and their character yeah. classes and what they're capable of. Yeah, I really like that sort of stuff. Um, but anyway, so Saul has Saul is the one that never came back, and he's created a fantasy land. He's basically the Grandmaster now forgive me because my Dungeons and Dragons knowledge isn't the best so I'm going to defer to no not 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 at all the only thing Dungeons and Dragons about this is the is the the dice that they use the the four sided six sided eight sided ten sided twelve sided twenty sided Um, but other than that you're you're on your own pal yeah (laughs) damn we need a Dungeons and Dragons (laughs) well to be honest I don't think you need to know much about it because the the world building in it you I just love Stephanie Hans's art. Fantastic. I really like. I really want to. Talk, you can talk about the story, but I'll wax lyrical about this. You were going. Oh my goodness! Every like I think I said last time. Every page. Every of one. every page. Every panel. Just get in an art gallery. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And there's so, even the colors. There's so many. It's just such a different. It color doesn't look. It doesn't look like any other book on seen? the shelf. You know, I. I think the best indie titles, I mean, I, I've talked a lot about one called Deadly Class. One of the reasons I love that, one of the reasons I love Die is they don't look like anything else on the no, shelf. No. And I'd also say um, one thing I did notice actually about it, um, I feel the dialogue, it's quite, not minimal, but there's, for like a fancy, fancy comic like that, I would kind of expect quite a lot of dialogue and sort of you know technical lingo that mm-hmm. kind of thing but i think it's quite breezy to read yeah a lot of it say call them the thought bubbles you know yeah we know how much you miss yeah. thought bubbles Keith. but um like me a thought bubble <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah um there's a cool giant bear that they fight and... i think it's as cool story ways the the crux of the issue seems to be discovering who their characters are yeah. Uh, who they're who they're playing now? Who the you know Ash is the I guess the the, the magic user type. The, you know the wizard and you know the just exactly yeah, who they are. Grief knight. Yeah, the grief called, knight and yeah. what they and the the cyberpunk who runs on like gold or something. Yeah. Or, yeah what is it? Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Uh, kind of. Yeah. So it's kind of discovering who the character classes are a little bit about the world, and and the yeah the the consequences of things that they have done previously in this yeah. world yeah. coming back to very literally haunt them yeah I mean the part towards the end of it where um, you know the past walks up and says hello you know <laughs> Lady Ash is talking about how she barely remembers a character Sir Liam you know and then it goes to her thoughts I think uh, we are honoured and then it goes into his well is this is class because from a from a from a role playing point of view, Sir Liam is clearly a non-player character. Yeah, you know what I mean. And he's a, you know, you, you as a as a player card, you meet this character, you, you interact with them, and in order to get the thing you want, and yeah, <laughs> you forget about, about yeah. them. Yeah, and I mean, this turns into quite a tragic story because 
the backstory for Sir Leon is, you know, he was a Hungarian Knight of Kisses, joined to par. He was an adventurer. He was an adventurer. And then it uh, says, as he rode off, he said he would not rest until he had gazed upon my perfection one more. Um, he dared me to use my power to make his words binding. I laughed and did so. And then he comes back, his eyes have all rotted out. He actually died a few years after they met. And he talks about how that oath will never be fulfilled. He's now undead and still hasn't looked upon her yeah. form. Um, so yeah, as you say, it's very much their past co- and their decisions from the past coming back to haunt them. Um, I love those reveals, <laughs> excuse me, as well. Because um, it, it presents to you the world just right as it is. But yeah. it's the really, really ju- the really good stuff is this missing period that yeah. you don't know about. That it's like what mm. has happened. And that's there. what you're going to be filled in mm. on every issue. And then, I mean, the other thing is, is again, it's the, it's the link to the fact that it's a role playing game. They're in a role playing game. Yeah. So you know, and Saul is the Grand Master. You know, and has he, has Saul created this world? As a dungeon master, has he created this world and, and these things, or, you know, because that's that's the one thing you have to remember is that the the rules of the game apply, mm-hmm. and the the rules of role-playing games and the, the tropes of role-playing games and I think a lot of what they're doing is they're 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 depending on the fact that you know we do know some of these tropes and we're expecting certain things from them and then they're turning them in their head yeah uh, which is kind of groovy I mean even looking through halfway through the issue I mean obviously Saul who is the Grandmaster has now designed this world and he's been able to manipulate them here because there's a character coming down um, who is the quote generic elf queen of the council from the dreaming lands but what Saul has actually done is he has based the character on a girl that one of them fancied in upper six yeah yeah and it's like you know I once saw her in old glamour dramatics blah, blah 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 and then it says the queen doesn't exactly look like her she looks like Maria felt Solomon is good at this he always was and the reason that uh, the character who did fancy her in school is able to stand up to her is um you know he attacks her and kills her and then they're all like what are you doing he says wait for it and one of them goes she's a fallen and he goes of course she is as if the elf princess was ever gonna fuck me <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's it's just so that's what i mean they're de- they're, they're like dependent it. on the tropes and then they're twisting them and yeah this is due to become a role-playing game yeah oh, really? Gillen's oh, writing the role-playing yeah. game as well so yeah so uh, i think i know what our first staff uh, role playing. <laughs> my first foray into role-playing game is gonna be yeah the word building of it's thoroughly excellent and again we don't want to go into too many spoilers further than this but issue three word building is incredible um yeah, i just have to say tolkien and it gives you an idea where it's going yeah i haven't read it yet yeah. Um, yeah sit down and, and give it your full attention there's so much in it like we said um, late night read yeah <laughs> but um, another thing not to wax lyrical about it there's some really great like a lot of books we actually discussed today a lot of great back matter, back matter. Yeah. yeah a little bit of an insight into um, a little <coughs> bit more of an insight into the world and the way it's set up and Karen Gillan's influences and it's interesting because see at the back of number and again it's not a spoiler but the back of number three there's another editorial by Karen Gillan and he ends it by saying we'll get to letters next month and I was just like no I don't want letters I just I want back matter I want your editorials to continue because you know he's just having a lot of fun with this world but uh, yeah I mean it was obviously on our best of end of year list last year it's probably keeps this quality up it'll be on Mm. it again and they see each cover they're spotlighting one of the main characters yeah they are indeed um yeah just 
truly wonderful title. The biggest compliment any indie title can get for its quality and its popularity is it's now on its third printing. And mm-hmm. that doesn't happen a lot with indie comics. You know, it happens every so often with stuff like Saga, like um, obviously Walking Dead went through some prints, stuff like that. But modern indies, I have to say, not a lot of them go to third prints. Not Middle, a lot of image books? Not really, no. No. Um, Middle West went to a second printing, just obviously mm-hmm. we were talking about it. But yeah, Die is, um, as I say, the fact that it's become our biggest indie pool, I think, is testament to its quality and people are enjoying it. Bigger than The Walking Dead? Yeah. Whoa. Well, Walking Dead at this point, you either read it or you don't, because it's so far well, into it. Yeah. You know, it's at 188 issues. Mm-hmm. You know, even a seasoned reader like Keith, he reads and trades. You yeah. know, you either read it or you don't walk in there at this point. Whereas this is fresh and new and the hype is real, I think, with it. So, so it was a joy whenever I come into the store and there's a walking dead trade me pull list and suddenly my <laughs> pull list is costing twice as much as it normally would. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've that Mr. Miracle trade tomorrow as well. Yes. Um... Cool. So that um, is die number two. So we will finish off the. I mean, we will spotlight a few other titles we did enjoy just very quickly. But the last one, just to talk at it a bit of length again, is with Keith this time. And surprise, surprise, it's Marvel. Back to Marvel. But more of a surprise, it's another annual. It is, and uh, I mean, a few weeks ago, I talked about how I was not did not love annuals. Uh, I found them kind of throwaway, but. Uh, it's almost like in order to prove me wrong every annual yeah. I have read since has been the opposite <laughs> of that and has been uh, has been fantastic <laughs> and worthwhile and segueing into further stories and setting up stories for the next year yeah uh, you know so there was actually three annuals that were yeah, appealing yeah. to me this this time around a couple of DC ones and a, and a and this one which is the Uncanny X-Men annual by Ed Breeson and Carlos Gomez so over the past month or a couple of months, a few months, I've talked about Extermination, which was the Ed Brisson series that uh, saw the end of uh, Brian Michael Bendis's all-new X-Men, which was the original five time-displaced uh, X-Men uh, who had been in the present uh, being sent back to the past to preserve the time stream. Uh, they were sent back to the past by a young Cable who killed his older self in cold blood and in secret, uh, at the end of uh, Extermination, we found that he had been secretly allied with none other than his father, the mysteriously revived Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops. Uh, Ed Breeson has been doing <coughs> wonderful stuff on, on, on X-Men, and this kind of is, the, I guess, the tail end of that story. Uh, it's the, the story of why Cyclops is back um, and what Kid, Kid Cable's role in that is. Um, and it sets up X-Men, Uncanny X-Men to come after the end of this uh, Age of X-Men story, which has been uh, a little disappointing, uh, considering I was so excited about it because it, it contained uh, Nate Grey X-Men. But, uh, so the, uh, the the main story um, follows the end of Extermination, uh, follows Kid Cable, um, and we saw him with, uh, with, his, with his father, Cyclops, who had died uh, some years back in the Avengers vs X-Men uh, miniseries uh, no Avengers vs Inhumans what was that one Wasn't X-Men vs Inhumans oh Wasn't yeah Inhumans yeah, vs X-Men and, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway that, the big the big the big the crux of that was that, that Scott Scott died of a 
of, uh, of an infection from it from the Terrigen Mist Cloud. And at the very, very start of this, we see a big blast uh, hitting Scott's grave on Muir Island uh, in Scotland and uh, Cyclops crawling out of his grave going, how did this happen? We immediately segue back into a flashback that's drawn in a really lovely retro, uh, style. retro style to, you know, of the sort of late 70s. Um, to do Looks like the, uh, what was that one, X-Men Grand Design? Yeah, it's done and the same way. Yeah, look, that, yeah. that's the, if you look really closely, the colouring's done with dots. Yeah. You know, in, that, in, that, in the same way as it was. Um, but anyway, the, the story follows a younger, a younger uh, Scott Summers. Uh, he's visiting Cambridge, Massachusetts, the university campus there. People are running in fear from a giant robot, which is controlled by uh, an individual called... Um, he's, a, he's a professor, uh, a professor who has been wronged by his students. Uh, he's, uh, he's commanding this robot through uh, a mental... Uh, process a helmet that he's created um, and Scott uh, defeats this uh, this professor this robot uh, piloted by Professor Tavin uh, and he saves the life of a young man called Paul uh, Paul it seems was the guy who caused the professor to be uh, to be fired from his job because the professor was doing bad things or, or was misunderstood or something mm -hmm. anyway and then we segue to 10 years later, Cable's involved, so there's always time travel. Uh, and young Cable is visiting Boston, Massachusetts 10 years later uh, to have the favor repaid. And he visits Paul, uh, who's 10 years older. Uh, and he uh, he delivers a device to Paul. And that device is a Phoenix cage, uh, which was uh, used to contain the Phoenix Force uh, way back in uh, Secret Avengers mm -hmm. many years back. And effectively, what Cable says was, Paul, you're a very smart man. You know electronics. I need you to fix this thing, which is the size of a microwave. And it has to be smaller. How small? And he sort of says, you know, about the size, this small, about the size of a 10p piece. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and Paul's like, uh, no, can't do that. Cable body slides away, says, I'll see you in two years. You know. Um, and then uh, two years later, which is the first time Scott Summers died of the during the Humans versus X Men. Uh, we see him being. We see the X Men burying him. Uh, we see uh, Paul and uh, Cable body slide to uh, to Scott's real body. So we're bringing in. Uh, we're bringing in Humans versus X Men here. Uh, back to that. We're bringing in Secret Avengers. We're bringing in Death of X, where we we learn that you know it was that Scott has long been dead and uh, what they actually buried wasn't Scott it was it was all Emma Frost uh, all her mind games she perverted his memory used it to incite a war between the mutants and the inhumans which was all what actually happened Scott mm -hmm. had died had died a considerable time ago and she had been projecting images of him into people's minds to, you know it was quite macabre stuff uh, they impl implant this uh, this miniaturised uh, phoenix trap into mm -hmm. uh, into Scott's heart, heart and then uh, they bury him then we go to the second time Scott died some years some <laughs> months later which was during the Phoenix Resurrection Return of Jean Grey miniseries uh, and uh, Jean Grey has as the Phoenix has resurrected Scott her, her true love she kisses him and in this case some of the Phoenix force is pulled into the Phoenix cage in Scott's heart uh, Scott then uh, dies He's already dead. It's, it's Jean's psychic powers that have, her phoenix powers that have resurrected him temporarily. So uh, 
Scott Scott dies again, but with the Phoenix Cage in his heart, is resurrected, and this is this is the the long process of of what has resurrected him. Uh, this this guy who he helped many many years ago, the younger version of his son, a lot of time travel. Scott's back, um, so it seems that uh, that Cable, young Cable, has been keeping Scott hostage since that time. Mm-hmm. Won't let him go out. Uh, you know, disappears again. Scott's like, but I, you know, I need to go out. It's been so long. I appreciate everything you've done, but you know, I've been gone too long. I need, I need, I need to go and help the X Men. You know, I need to see Jean. You can't keep me cooped up here. And uh, Cable, young Cable, uh, heads to uh, he, he disappears off somewhere, and uh, we see Professor Tavin, the professor who was animating the robot mm-hmm. back in the past uh, at the university. We see him released from prison. He's been in prison now for. Uh, 14 years or something he's now getting out he goes back to his workshop he finds Paul's address someone's been down here and has left Paul's address for him Paul remember is the guy who caused him to be fired all those years yeah. ago uh, and uh, someone's left so so the professor decides he's going on a revenge mission to get you know to, to, to kill this guy Paul for, for ruining his life uh, and we find that uh, that it's Cable Cable has left the address for him young Cable has left the address and put Scott in a very difficult position. Uh, Cyclops now has one of two choices. Uh, in the current X-Men timeline, uh, Uncanny X-Men, Nate Gray, X-Man is screwing with the X-Men, he's destroying them. They've got very little chance of survival. But at the same time, Paul, the guy who uh, Scott owes his life to, uh, who he saved all those years ago, is also in danger. He's got a wife and kid. So Scott Cable has put Scott into this position where he has to make this choice and there's only one there's only one choice to make really he's, he's trying to discover if his resurrected father is the man he thinks he is you know and uh, Scott proves that he is by going to rescue Paul rather than rescue the X-Men yeah you know so um, it's great it's a lovely story um, he defeats Professor Tavin again uh, he saves <coughs> Paul's life again uh, you know uh You know, we, we see uh, Scott, you know, in a, an introspective moment after this, um, talk about, you know, he did the same thing that everyone he's been fighting had done, you know, uh, that Magneto had done. He put his species above humanity. He became the monster they feared. He was wrong, you know, and now it's time to go and find the X-Men and set it right. So to be continued on Uncanny X-Men <clears throat> number 11. Uh, mm-hmm. Really looking forward to seeing where uh, the X Men goes after Age of X Men. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, interesting thing on the annual. Uh, there's a regular comes in, Jim, and he's a, he's an old school X Men reader. He doesn't really read single issues anymore. He's more of a trade guy. But uh, he came in about two weeks ago and said, "Alan have fallen into the trap." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, <laughs> "I came across the Uncanny X Men annual number one." Can you back trace issues one to ten for me and set me up from number eleven? <laughs> nice. So the annual had very much done its job. Great. For I mean, Ned Breeson is fantastic. He's very, very good when it comes to when it comes to X Men stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean that was an example again of you know an annual done right. You know, we 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 have talked about it in the past, obviously, and maybe not as such a positive light, but again, the quality's been so high recently. Mm. 
Um, I mean, the one, oh, sorry. No, please. no, I was just gonna say by the sounds of it, the ones we've talked about anyway are quite varied. So, like that X Men one, I know Justice League had the like they those ones had the core team on it. Yeah, but mm-hmm. with the Spider Man one, we all loved with the Batman annual number three. That was like that yeah. was a different creative team. It was like here you go, you not necessarily do whatever you want, but you tell a different story. You yeah. work away. But these other ones were like, this is an annual, this needs to be, to tie, this needs to tie into the story yeah. we're telling. Mm-hmm. Or springboard. Um, do you think that's what it yeah. is to get, not necessarily new readers, but yeah, just to maybe, add to maybe. the story? Um, I'm more excited about what's coming after that annual, that X-Men annual, than, than I am about what has happened before. Uh, you know, um, yeah, and Kenny yeah. X Men was a strange one because it was a weekly title as well. Yeah. You either had to sign up for it straight away and not miss an issue, whereas this almost, in a weird way, gets you caught up, but it's now going to go monthly, I mm-hmm. believe. So, mm-hmm. um, there is that element to it as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, you just mentioned it there, another one we'll throw out a few more wee bits and pieces we enjoyed as well, but maybe not in so much detail. But another one that I really dug this month was, the, or in January, I should say. <laughs> was the Justice League annual mm-hmm. and great you know Justice League we've talked about more and more in this podcast has been so uneven but I do think it's had more ups and downs but it's uneven but you could have almost just ignored the entire Justice League run and read this directly after No Justice oh, I know suddenly Metal and No Justice make some sort of sense to me yeah, yeah. you know it's uh, you know stick with Schneider he will get you there um, <laughs> you get to save me a bit of money getting there like <laughs> Um, but yeah this was very much just a direct follow up to those titles as you say it was it picked up directly after the uh, source wall had been breached the Green Lanterns had been protecting it and it was now a new plan in place to try and fix that breach and uh, using, using the Titans from from No Justice yeah yeah, absolutely um, but you know it sort of ends in a way where Lex Luthor is able to capture one of those Titans and wants to drill it for knowledge showed it so well see it's uh, the Lex Luthor captures Perpetua mm-hmm. who is the individual who was held captive by the source wall yeah who I, I think is some sort of like god who created the DC universe yeah from what I understand yeah there's there's just some really interesting stuff they've thrown up in it that oh and the, oh the other thing is uh, the universe only has like three weeks to to remain in existence mm-hmm. it's now moving towards heat death so the DC universe is three weeks to live <laughs> it's almost like it might be deceased <laughs> well, so, yeah um, but yeah I thought well, just, that's uh, a really good point <laughs> see what you do um, but yeah I thought I thought Just Like Annual you know was, was great um, a, th- a few other ones I'll just throw out very quickly I thought Batman Who Laughs number two again was very solid um, ended in an interesting way have you both read it yeah yep, so yep. it ended with um, Commissioner Gordon going to see someone who he thinks can help him and it was a big reveal which was uh, James Gordon's son now Keith actually messaged us almost straight away in the group chat that we have saying is this supposed to be some sort of big reveal <laughs> who's Jim Gordon and why is he important who's, who's Jim Gordon Jr essentially it, it ties back to um, Scott Snyder's first ever Batman story which was in Detective Comics 870 to 881 which was uh, a storyline following James Jr and he was a guy who'd been sent away for years he had mental problems but he was coming back to Gotham he was almost like the forgotten you know ugly stepchild of the Gordon family they just sort of forgot he existed um, but uh, then suddenly a spate of killings were happening in Gotham was it him was it not um, 
but yeah, that's a brilliant story called The Black Mirror. If you've never never read it, worth going back to. Um, Deadly Class came back. Uh, I was almost going to throw this in as a more detailed discussion, but I hate throwing spoilers for Deadly Class <laughs> out there because this title just is. Yeah, I'm a trade reader, so thank you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, to that's be it. honest, it's it's not quite a jumping on point for people, but it doesn't really progress the story. It sort of does a bit of a recap in an interesting way where it all takes place in Marcus's head. So mm-hmm. it's it's not. It doesn't massively progress the story forward, but it's really, really interesting to read. Um, TV shows now started. Totally digging it. Um, I couldn't be happier with how it's going. <coughs> Pardon me. Brilliantly cast. Sticks to the 80s aesthetic. Has 80s music soundtrack. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. <coughs> Another indie title, Criminal, came back. This is one that I'm a, a fan of. Brubaker Phillips, one of the dream teams of comics for me. Just always hard-boiled noir it's always the guy who'll do one last job the femme fatale who'll be the end of them the guy who's trying to go straight it's they're very well-worn tales but these guys are some of the best um best around in terms of telling those stories i think um, yeah their uh, daredevil runs really good ed brubaker is fantastic um, was it sean yeah. phillips did the artwork was it no um oh it escapes me now <laughs> Um, I mean, talking of Daredevil, you know, I, I threw out earlier as well that you know Daredevil number one we'll talk about next month. But there was a great five issue mini series, Man Without Fear, mm-hmm. which linked to get linked the end of the death of Daredevil to this new number one. Five issues was great, um, and then just one last shout out, just Martian Manhunter number two continues to be crazy, wild, yeah. weird. <laughs> it's fantastic. Isn't weird it? fun it's in the DC universe. Was Mike the Lark? Wasn't it? Yep, yep, yep. Again, just. There's not a title like it, I think, um, in the it's in the DC universe. Bonkers, isn't it? It's crazy stuff, um, <laughs> but it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those were just the ones I wanted to shout out. Feel free, feel free to um, throw out whatever. For me, I'm loving uh, loving Batman Beyond uh, 27, 28, the return of the Joker to the Batman Beyond universe. That is the original Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, uh, Batman Beyond now has a Robin and his younger brother. Uh, and Nightwing, well, not Nightwing. Dick Grayson has become involved. He's a, he's the the mayor of Bloodhaven uh-huh. in this timeline, and uh, he's come back to Gotham for a thing with his daughter, and uh, you know he's he's a bit annoyed that Bruce is still fielding kids in the fa- you know in the in, in the combat, mm-hmm. you know Terry McGinnis and his younger brother Matt, uh, and of course the Joker decides he's going to repeat one of his greatest hits. Uh, he. Uh, he uh, tracks down the original crowbar, Ooh. and uh, he takes. Well, why am I not reading Batman Beyond? That? And he takes uh, our new Robin uh, hostage, and uh, with the intention of uh, retreading death in the family. Uh, so that's that's going really well. I'm really enjoying. I it. really need to get into uh, Batman Beyond. Yeah, it's I don't good. know why I'm not. Um, Sounds great. I really enjoyed the Flash Annual, uh, Joshua Williamson, uh, <laughs> Collins, um, setting up what's coming next in the Flash. It was quite poignant. Uh, obviously, Wally West has uh, apparently died, and during Heroes of Crisis, this is uh, Barry dealing with that. Uh, he goes into the Speed Force where Wally was before it started Rebirth uh, to try and find Wally. He can't find him there, but he does find his his old partner Godspeed uh, from the start of from the very start, yeah, the Rebirth, start of yeah, Joshua yeah. Williams' run. Uh, you know, and, and Godspeed seems to be working for someone. Uh, one of Flash's old enemies, or someone who blames Flash for something. Uh, Godspeed is 
has been tasked by this individual, this big bad, uh, to to get something from each of the speedsters from Wally Wally West and you know uh, what do you call him? Um, Wallace West, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of other speedsters, Barry Allen. But during the process, he's trying to warn Barry. You know what I mean? So he seems to be under duress. Seems to be setting up what's coming next in Flash. You were supposed to read this after this week's release or that week's release of Flash, and yeah. I, I failed miserably <laughs> too. Uh, but it didn't make a huge didn't make a huge difference. Yeah, they were actually released the same week. Yeah. But there was no reading order given. Um, as you like, said, that Justice League annual was really interesting. Uh, seems critical to all things going forward in the DC universe. I really enjoyed uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation twenty twenty. Uh, 2020 is this I guess this celebration that IDW is releasing yeah. is this their 20 year anniversary or something yeah so they're setting certain they're doing a bunch of one shots and they're either set 20 years before the current continuity or 20 mm. years after thought it was Star Trek Transformers Ghostbusters uh, My Little Pony yeah a few different licenses um, and they do license as well uh, but I mean if these IDW Star Trek comics are really getting me back out of Star Trek <laughs> they were broken and through the mirror Terry Incognito and the, the Q War sort of thing um, but this I guess this 2020 the, the, the crux of it is that the stories are either set 20 years before the continuity or 20 years in the future of the continuity yeah. so this follows uh, Captain Picard that we all know and love but 20 years in the past uh, whenever he was still the uh, fresh captain of the USS Stargazer with some glorious hair yeah with some <laughs> glorious hair and the, the art uh, by J.K. Woodward is fantastic yeah um, yeah you were showing showing it to us earlier absolutely gorgeous stuff like. but uh, the stories by Peter David great writer um, is, is brilliant is he like a Star Trek writer no, or is he a pretty know. prolific comic writer he, Peter David's written all sorts of stuff Spider-Man and you know Scarlet Spider and all sorts yeah. of you know he's but um, and uh, X Factor and uh, a whole he's, he's a prolific as you say a prolific writer I don't know what his history in Star Trek is yeah. but this story so, so Jean-Luc Picard were used to him being the confident diplomatic captain of the USS Enterprise but this was 20 years ago he's still fresh he's still unproven uh, he's not quite as soft confident and the story follows uh, his, his best buddy uh, and his first officer uh, Jack Crusher uh, and uh, Jack was his best friend uh, the, the name Crusher obviously is quite familiar to, to fans of Star Trek The Next Generation uh, and Jack Crusher has just brought his new fiance uh, cadet Beverly Crusher mm. onto the ship and uh, Picard is not happy about this because it, she's not supposed to be here she's a cadet you know you know, she's nothing about distraction so forth and so on uh, Picard beams down uh against uh, his first officer's better wishes to uh, a situation on a planet which is a little unstable um, there's a, an insurrection on the planet Picard is injured uh, you know the crux of it is that you know he commands Jack not to beam any Starfleet officer down to help him because you know he's already made that foolish decision to go, as the captain to go down himself against his first officer's wishes so uh, so Jack doesn't beam down any Starfleet officer any Starfleet officer he beams down his wife his, his, his fiance who's a cadet and also a medic uh, to, and that's the start I guess of Picard and Beverly's friendship uh, but it's really it's really fantastic seeing you know a young version of Picard and the art and it's just very very good very good story uh, very good story uh, echoes of echoes of, of our Picard there and, uh, 
<laughs> you know, so pretty cool. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, we could talk about Die, we could talk about Middle West, we could talk about Oblivion Song. I don't know if you did talk about <laughs> no, Middle we, West or Oblivion. No, songs, no, third issue Middle yeah. West out as well now. But uh, maybe next month. Great, really enjoying it. Uh, Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons, another IDW title that I really enjoyed. It's just finished. Uh, it was fabulous. They really captured the voices of Rick and Morty um, with that. Um, did you ever read any of Star Trek New Frontier? The novels. Oh. Yeah, I think Peter I've got David this. There we are. Okay, I right. thought he had yeah something, something yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe he's written beyond that as well. I don't know. Um, you're reading Captain America, aren't you? Captain oh. America's been good so far. Yeah. Uh, Tan Nahesi. I would say Quartes. I don't know if it's Quartes or Coates. Yeah. Start of a new story arc now. And one of the Cubers, Adam, yeah. Andy, Andy, Adam, uh, Adam, Adam Cubert. Um, yeah, that's the, the start of the Captain of Nothing storyline. So it's been following, um, I guess there's a conspiracy going on against against Captain America. Uh, Alexa Lucan and her newly resurrected husband, Alexander Lucan, who was famous from Brubaker's Run as the host of the Red Skull. Um, and uh, something's going on. Her, uh, her group, I can't remember what they're called. What do you call the group that she's formed some sort of alliance uh, of bad dudes? <laughs> um, that sure. is their full name. <laughs> um, I thought but, that was our name. But uh, uh, Thunderbolt Ross uh, has been uh, was not Captain America's best friend. Is not the best friend of any superhero. But <laughs> he has been mysteriously killed, and Captain America is wanted for questioning. So uh, this is the beginning of. Uh, the beginning of that uh, storyline and it's it's really beautifully beautifully written and uh, and beautifully illustrated um, and it ends with uh, with Cap handing himself into custody but without the shield which he bequeaths to uh, Sharon Carter and uh, we're going from there so uh, yeah that was Captain America 7 was really good Avengers 13 Legacy 703 by um, by Aaron, uh, who has come up again and again uh, in our conversations today. Yeah. Um, How far are we off No Road Home or Lunch no? is tomorrow? Does it? Oh, really? yeah. There you are. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but uh, Aaron and Andrea Sorrentino uh, tell the story of Iron Fist, 1 million BC. Uh, so the, the Avengers of 1 million BC that Jason Aaron created. Uh, he's sort of sequentially spotlighting various members of the team. Uh, so this Iron Fist, you know, of prehistory, has a I guess a history similar, well, not similar to Danny Rand. Uh, she is exiled from Kumlum whenever it appears on Earth. Uh, she's exiled because she's been teaching uh, the cavemen of Earth martial arts, and that's to be to teach martial arts beyond her own culture as a crime. She ends up exiled. She ends up meeting Mephisto on her planet. She ends up. Uh, defeating uh, an army of gorillas it's great it's a good story it's a great Iron Fist story uh, so it's most enjoyable um, and lastly for me Fantastic Four number six Dan Slott uh, we talked about the Fantastic Four wedding of uh, Ben Grimm and uh, Alicia Masters so this is post wedding and for, for this for Slot's Fantastic Four 
it's really I think now we've got the wedding out of the way we've got the how we've got the Fantastic Four back together out of the way and number six I think is the first issue that is a Fantastic Four story mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the Fantastic Four are together they are fighting Galactus and Doctor Doom nice. <laughs> what else do you need it's a solid <laughs> it's the start of a really solid Fantastic Four story so uh, if you're going to jump on a Fantastic Four, I would I would go for uh, number six, and you'll you'll not be disappointed. Um, I think that's it for me, Ronnie. Nice. Um, I didn't really have much else to be honest. It hasn't already been covered. I just had Bloodborne, which was Bloodborne number eight, which is the final issue of the Healing Thirst. Um, just as always, Alice Cott and. Peter or Piotr Kowalski just absolutely fantastic stuff um, it's just like what like looking at a nightmare the art is absolutely fantastic and it's like uh, it just continues to be this like like I don't know faded horror mystery and I'm not even the biggest fan of the game I was more like a Dark Souls kind of fan but um, like I did like Bloodborne but I feel like what they've done with the the mythology in the comic I think it actually lends itself better to a comic what's the gist I had no idea it was a game <coughs> well okay <laughs> your voice gonna, is going again I'm going to have to explain <laughs> <laughs> okay well it's a knight and he wakes up in this world of Yarnum and every time he dies he gets excuse me <coughs> he gets reincarnated and returns to the same place and well it respawns yeah so it's the mystery it's basically the comic follows the mystery of him trying to find out what the hell is going on basically yeah, and is he in the game is that it is that way he's um, I don't know how closely it follows the game really? to be honest I think that I think it's like a side story it's a different night but I'd have to I'd have to look into that and research it but okay. um, yeah just a like just a really it's a really horrifying book like it's really bleak really really bleak but if you like that sort of stuff some just something a bit different from like titan comics so like a really good bloody disgusting horror comic you know <laughs> wow. so i'd recommend it because like yeah if, mm. even if um because i'd say the two two trades will be out by now yeah the first trade was four issues so yeah. this one will definitely be out not too long so, behind, I would say. look forward to properly chatting about maybe the next the start of the next one yeah I think that's it I think everyone else kind of mentioned everything I had going on I kind of mixed up a lot of um, the previous month's December's reading with January and this month's there's a lot of stuff that was early Feb, Feb that I thought yeah. was January but well, um, we'll, get, we'll get there you're going to have we'll a lot to there. say next month I will, ooh. <laughs> well, you know, I have, and hopefully my uh, voice will. Voice will <laughs> I think it's it's there. It's ninety percent. It's getting there. It's getting there. No, I mean it's interesting. I mean I already know two of my picks for next month, unless something earth shattering comes up. As I mentioned, Daredevil number one was brilliant, and there was a great one hundred page spectacular for Superman um, called Man and Superman uh, by Marv Wolfman, which is wonderful. Oh, wow. Um, but I say that and yet I've got my pile here for this week and I see Gunning for Hits number two I see Annotated Marvels Annotated you know, Marvels looks sweet yeah Magic Order number six is in there so why did you get those before because I was day? because That's... I own a store <laughs> 
Um, yeah, delivery's always coming on a Tuesday for a Wednesday, so um, <laughs> even when they come really <laughs> late, like trouble. they did today. <laughs> Whatever I say, Marvels yeah. looks sweet. I mean, it looks sweet from the distance. I can see it from yeah, we, we have, yeah. You know, that's it. I promise I haven't shown anything already. Through the plastic cover, it looks <laughs> But anyway. uh, so we're all fairly much agreed going for hits. Conan the Barbarian, you need to read. Yeah, uh, they they would be. I think they're the only really unfriendly neighborhood Spider-Man too. They're the yeah. sort of and aliens, I guess, if you can find a copy. But that's like our. I think we do well trying to get jumping on, not jumping on points, but like new series, but also yeah. like marrying that with like a lot of ongoing stuff. You know. <clears throat> well, I think if we had to nail it down to just one to agree on. Yeah, I think They'd I'd probably go, be gunning for it. Gunning for it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. have to say, just truly great example of what a comic can be. And, and the kind of comic that, as I mentioned before, even if you've never read a comic before in your life, you will enjoy this. Mm. Uh, if you have a passing interest in music. But, uh, um, I mean, I work in the music industry, I, I thought it was fantastic. I yeah. It was, it was really lovely. <laughs> you know, now I just need to become a contract killer and we're good to go. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I find whenever a book, uh, I've read a book and... Uh, you know, I tend to whenever I've got a read pile, the stuff that I read tends to go to the bottom, and I find whenever I, you know, or it goes in my box, you know, to be filed away, yeah. and I find whenever a comic I've read, you know, comes out of the box and goes back to the bottom of the pile, so that whenever I finish reading all my new stuff, it's back at the top again because I want to read it again, yeah. <laughs> and that's what Gunning for Hits was for me. Compliment. So I look forward to reading it again just before I read number two. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. the way to do it. Excellent. So that'll be everything from us now. Just over the two-hour mark. That's uh, pretty decent for us. Um, hmm. we'll, Streamlining this. Yeah, we'll <laughs> Streamlining this thing. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll leave it there. So uh, yeah. cheers, Keith. Cheers, Roddy. Yeah, thank you very cheers. much. Pleasure as always. And we'll see you guys again soon. See you soon. Bye. Nice.